Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going? I'm sick. I tag you're it, I guess. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, tag I'm it. No, it's okay. This started on Sunday, and I thought I'd beaten it today, mm-hmm. and I got cocky, and now I'm oh, sick. That's <laughs> yeah. unfortunate. How are you feeling? Are you Mahlered out? Oh, no. Well, yeah, Mahler was last week. This week, okay. we did um, a just a fantastic kids concert. We did Oof. Peter and the Wolf. and Fun. I love Peter and the Wolf. Yeah, Magic Circle Mimes came, who are a fantastic uh, mime company, uh, and did a lot of... It was just... It was amazing. Because there's nothing like an, an audience that actually cares of kids. When, right. When they're kids and they care, and the orchestra sounds good, which doesn't happen a lot for kids' concerts. Um, it's, it's, a, it's just a complete energy rush. So... I spent my morning doing that a couple times and then in traffic until we're talking right now, which is why, uh, listeners, I have not seen the Orphan Black premiere. I have not seen a couple other premieres from this week or, you know, like I'm not going to be talking about what looks like a not very good new uh, NBC show, Game of Silence. That will be... Yeah, I couldn't bring myself to watch that. Yeah, that next week, listeners, next week. But um, for me, Noel, don't watch it. Just I'm just going to assume. I'll let you know if I was wrong, but I'm going to assume don't watch it. I'll, I'll give my thoughts next week. I haven't seen any Kimmy Schmidt. You've seen some Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, no, I've seen the first three episodes. I got to watch those last night. So we'll, we'll be talking about that. Um, or, well, Noel will be talking about it. I'll be asking questions. Yeah. yeah, a little bit later in, in the podcast. But no, it, it, it's, it's just, it was a lot of fun. And I have a week off, and then I'm doing pictures at an exhibition. So that'll be fun, too. It's been a busy month, and hopefully I can take advantage of this coming week where I don't have to drive three hours uh, several times during the week for a gig and actually catch up on the rest of the TV. One of the things that has happened for me because I am behind on a lot of this TV is I have not seen some of the more buzzed-about episodes. Um, and, and part of the buzz that's been happening on Twitter, and I would love to, to know your, your thoughts on this, Noel, is... Um, several shows that we do not cover weekly and really ever on, on the podcast have joined the fabulous trend of 2016 of killing prominent female characters, including Sleepy Hollow and, as of when we're recording before it gets undone, uh, Blacklist. And I, I guess this is, could be spoilers, but, I mean, it, it's already happened. There's already been discussion, and who knows? It, these are both shows where that could be undone if they really wanted so well sleepy hollow is not going to get undone that's not going to get done done that show's probably not even going to get renewed but you know that one also has been talked about a lot in the press how do you feel about the discussion around uh all of these female characters getting killed off and has it really been striking to you i mean i know it has for me but you know i've been accused of wanting to be outraged about these things so well if 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 can I be outraged on your behalf then? Sure. Because this is ridiculous. Isn't it I ridiculous? Mean, I don't, I haven't watched Sleepy Hollow since I think midway through season two. Me too. And I stopped watching Blacklist a little bit into season two. And 
I didn't even, I was off like doing podcast stuff and then playing video games on Friday. So the Sleepy Hollow death, when that happened, I didn't know until Saturday, like afternoon, I was checking Twitter and people were just like, they killed off Abby. And I'm just went, no, they didn't. They didn't kill off Abby. And then I'm just like, oh, she wanted out. Oh, 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 they, they, they killed off the second, they killed off the other half of the reason why the show was good in the first place. Yeah. You nimrods. <laughs> <laughs> and so, right. So Sleepy Hollow, that to me was just like, why would you do that? Why in the world would you do that? I mean, understandably behind the scenes, they needed to do it because um, the actress wanted off because she was feeling seriously neglected by the show. And I can only imagine based on where the show was heading when I bailed. Based on why we stopped watching right. it, you know. Yeah. So, but I couldn't believe that when I read it. Um, when I heard about it. And then Blacklist um, killing off its female lead. Um, Well, killing. I'm doing air quotes because they'll bring her back at some point, I'm sure. Um, But this is in part just because they needed something fun and crazy to happen, I'm sure. But also because the actress is pregnant in real life. And they had to deal with that somehow, so they incorporated it into the show, which is probably for the best, given the Blacklist's action focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but at the same time, just went... It's so bad that all of this is happening basically at once. Yeah. Like, within the span of, like, three weeks, basically. It's all of this has happened. Bad month to be a yeah. female character on television. Um, yeah, I said the same thing. I was yeah. just like, wow, this really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and then the 100 killed off this week. Yeah. The, yeah. They're, all, they're, they're only character aside from... <laughs> yeah. Um... I have been, as listeners will know, but, you know, from the top of the show discussions, I have been very busy this month. Lots of traveling, uh, lots of um, time taken out of what would normally be my pondering about viewing and, you know, processing TV. Uh, So I haven't had the time to do this, but hopefully as we get into May and I should have some more time, I'm currently planning to do a bit of fun statistical analysis because nerd. and looking at the character deaths on at least network TV, maybe a lot more. We'll see how, you know, how brave I get or how crazy I get with it. Um, breaking down by by gender and ethnicity and sexuality and some a few other things, and just kind of looking at the numbers because I, I think I need to get more specific facts for it. But it just is really very striking to me. And what I just keep coming back to is something that actually. I'm very glad Mo Ryan wrote a piece about over at Variety, which is these shows um, that like to trumpet the fact that anyone on their show can die. Keep running back to that as a defense for, or another defense, because they don't need a defense. They can do whatever the hell they want. But as a reasoning for why certain characters have been killed off, prominent characters, you know, it's part of their storytelling. However, it at least feels like when they say anyone can die, they mean anyone except the straight white male leads of their shows. Um, And so when you have all of these prominent characters on at least genre TV, um, I don't don't know if you could, if we can extrapolate the trend out to mainstream TV, but definitely in genre TV for this year, keep getting killed off. And then on the some of the same shows, they managed to find ways to, for example, on arrow Roy just leaves because the white guy's allowed to just leave the show. Um, that's a little... Slade gets put into prison. Slade gets put into prison, exactly. Um, but Summer Glau gets killed. 
Yeah, well, it's like, char- again, characters that they can find, some of these shows are able to find ways to write off actors or characters, depending on the need, um, without killing them. But when they want to inflict man pain on their male leads, they make sure they kill off the, you know, the beloved sidekick characters who tend to be the, uh, you know, people of color um, or just not, you know, the straight white guys, or they kill off the love interests. And so when you look at a show like Arrow, like we've been talking about recently, which has killed off Tommy, but also has killed off a lot of women. Yeah, um, I listed all of them yeah, last week. Yeah, so many. Um, almost and they're all... probably going to kill at least one more. The poor yeah. Russian lady on the flashbacks is going to die. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just, it gets, it, it starts to feel like a larger discussion that needs to happen. So that's what we like to do here. We like to have discussions um, or at times monologues as I'm doing right now. Uh, But it's something that I hope to look into and have some numbers to present to y'all in May. But for now, at least know that we're thinking about it. And I would like to hear from our listeners how they feel about it. Um, Do you have any other uh, shows or characters or other things you want to mention on this theme or others, Noel, before we go into our week in TV? No, I mean, it's one of those things where even like iZombie, which had a remarkably high body count in its finale, really killed off one woman who was technically already dead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then they also killed off, but he was also technically already dead. (laughs) But it's just, it's a pattern that's happening. And, but they've also managed to avoid, you know, killing off other characters who could maybe potentially die as well within its context. So Clive was in danger, Peyton was in danger, and Ravi was in danger, and all three of them made it out okay. Well, okay being a relative term. They're yeah. alive. <laughs> yeah. Well, and something I mentioned on, on Twitter, um, which was depressing that I did actually think this was, hey, at least we're not talking about all, all the women who are being raped to benefit men's storylines right now. Yay? Yay? That's... And, you know, it's okay because... Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones is coming back. Is coming back. <laughs> they'll, yep. they'll satisfy all our quotients and maybe in a shortened final season if they can stop talking about maybe having a shortened final season. Yeah. Oh, the think pieces. Um, <laughs> did you see, by the way, the, the cover? Um, I want to say it was like Entertainment Weekly had different covers. It might have been TV Guide for Game of Thrones and the one for Sansa had her wearing like a like a chain kind of choker thing which i was like i missed that the only entertainment weekly covers i saw this week were all the civil war yeah covers and i'm just going yeah it was from like a week or two ago they had daenerys they had uh, well i should say they had emilia clark they had um sophie turner uh but i just saw the one i was like sophie turner looks great she looks hot and i'm sure there's lots of people who would absolutely absolutely love the idea of some consensual like chain uh imagery going on but when big part of last season was ha- having your character get brutally raped and stripped of all of her agency, maybe don't use that imagery. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, that's just me. Entertainment Weekly is not the best of their covers. Yeah. 
and I'm sure the photographer might not have even seen the show. Who knows? But uh, it's a possibility. Yeah. Anyways, that more on that uh, next week or the week after, I should say, when uh, when Game of Thrones comes back. But for now, we have a full week with lots and lots of TV. Uh, friend of the show, David Bax from Battleship Retention at Hey Watch This is is back talking about Band of Brothers, which was awesome and so much so much fun. Guys, we didn't go forever. I promise. We didn't. It's true. It's like, we're all shocked. We were very surprised. We didn't go forever. Um, but that's coming at the end of the show. For now, though, we'll take a break and listen to a little music. So excited about the music this week and come back with our week in comedy. What's that burning feeling every time you pee? Well, that's how it goes after you have so much awesome sex with me. I gave you a UTI. Yeah, I give you a UTI. My sweet love injection caused a urinary tract infection. I'm just that good. I didn't even try, try, try. I gave you a UTI. Okay, so it's not really a comment on the quality of the sex as much as a lot of sex has been happening and there's just a very natural transfer of bacteria Don't to- ruin this for me. That bladder information is my little gift to you. Yeah, sometimes chicks need medication after what I put them through. Come on, sing with me. No, I'm not going to do that. I gave you, I gave you a UTI. This week in reality and comedy, uh, Noel's going to kick things off by talking some Kimmy Schmidt season two. Then I'll talk a little bit about The Detour, which had its first two episodes over on TBS, uh, The Pilot and The Hotel. Then we'll talk a little Amazing Race. Welcome to Bloody Fingers before continuing on to Brooklyn Nine-Nine Bureau and rounding things up with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Why is Josh in a bad mood? Question mark, not exclamation point for the first time. How about yeah. that? Yeah, you had to get that interrogative tone. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose I'll work on that for the next time I say it. Um, but yeah. up first is Kimmy Schmidt, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, I should say, which dropped on Netflix. I have not seen any of it. I wish I had because I want that theme song stuck in my head. Uh, you've seen the first three, Noel. First of all, yes. any uh, earworm songs in the first three, Inquiring Minds want to know, meaning I do. And how, do, how, does, it, how does it pick up this new season? Did you notice a dr- difference in tone or approach or anything, given that this is now the all Netflix season? Um, first, no earworms yet, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, though Titus, Titus does sing a song. Well, not Titus, one of his past lives, uh, Lady Murasaki, <laughs> sings a song in Japanese that is quite haunting, but it's not going to get stuck in your head. Um, the only big change in terms of it being on Netflix is that the episodes are, like, longer. Okay. So there's, uh, episodes run 29 to 30 minutes full. Um, including credits as opposed to 22. How does it handle that? We're not, we tend not to be fans of that. Um. Yeah. Um, it generally works okay with Kimmy, at least in the first three, uh, in part because, I mean, everything's stuffed with gags. So it's one of those things where uh, if you have a dead period, it's okay because the next 15 seconds won't be a dead period mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So that wasn't a huge issue, though they did start to feel a little long sometimes. But uh, the rest of it um, was still great, weird, crazy Kimmy goodness, um, apart from two things. And I'll get to that in just a second. But there's plenty of other good stuff where Kimmy is shocked to find out that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are still a thing, um, which is amazing. <laughs> awesome. 
Um, she's just like, why that of all things? And I'm just like, and then also we find out that, and I didn't know this, and I went back to confirm it. Did you know that Chuck Lorre wrote the theme song for the cartoon series? Wait, for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yes. I did not know that. Neither did I. And he got screwed out of all the royalties. He doesn't get any money for that song. He's doing okay. You know, he's doing fine. But he should have more. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was, I like, he did a vanity vanity card about it. And he, they basically told him that he wasn't going to get any money for the song. He and the co-writer. It took two people to write that song. Hey, it's catchy. (laughs) Yeah, it is very catchy. So, no, there's plenty of really fun, weird stuff. Um, uh, Dong shows back up, so we uh, re- we get reintroduced to that tension and that relationship um, and his green card marriage. And we deal with um, Jacqueline uh, coming back to Manhattan. And that's where the series kind of, like, decides to double down on the Native American oh, plotline no. in the premiere. Yeah. Um, instead of, like... She comes off as just a dumb, well-meaning, well-intentioned white lady. Okay. So it's kind of funny, but it's... And, like, her parents want her to leave because they're just like, you're driving us up the wall and you're destroying the tribe. You need to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get her out of there pretty quickly, which is good. It's like she's she's back in Manhattan by the, by the second episode. Um, but she's also living with Kimmy now. <laughs> oh, goodness. Right. Uh, well... For a little while, she manages to get an apartment, but it's all this sort of stuff where she navigates basically only having $12 million. Only $12 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third episode is basically a long protracted uh, screw you internet uh, for getting on to us about our racial stuff last season. Ah. Yeah, as um, Titus puts on that play about his past life as Lady Murasaki in Whiteface. Okay. And uh, the Asian Defense League comes to protest it. And it's just broad caricatures of um, internet discourse, really bad internet discourse about racial representations. And yeah, Tina Fey's grinding an axe with that episode. And it's not particularly funny. And next, next season, I'm sure there'll be a segment in which a podcaster, if Tina Fey or... Carlock, Robert Carlock are listening. Um, something will come out about it. But it's not that great. Um, yeah. Um, but it's kind of that hyper-aware, over-political correctness, over-safe space type of stuff. Um, so I'll be eager for you to watch Kimmy Goes to Play. Okay. And see. Um, but I'm still, like, so much on the ball for this show, apart from its weird defensiveness. Because... Um, Ellie Kemper's still amazing. Mm-hmm. That woman is just a force of nature. And yeah, no, so it's still really funny. Plenty of really funny gags, um, including more stuff. We get more flashbacks into the bunker, which I was not expecting. Um, yeah, I was surprised. Um, so yeah, I- I'm I'm ready for to watch more. I'm not quite sure when I'll get to it, but I'll get to it soon. Um, so yeah, so that was my premiere. Um, do you have questions, I guess? No, no, I'm, um, yeah. it makes me appreciate Javi, uh, Grisha yeah. Marswatch's, uh, lack of defensiveness for the hundred. Cause it's just to highlight, and I think we can all be defensive. We've all read sure. lower star reviews than we would like, you know, or read the comments when we shouldn't have to our oh, writing. Uh, and so we can, we all know what that feels. That instinct to get defensive feels like, but, um, yeah, just makes me appreciate those who can listen and take in that feedback 
when you know when it's more than one person telling you after a while yeah you know but so it goes uh, i still am very much looking forward to the season and uh yeah but, i am too i'm excited about to see more and can we just like could lady murasaki yeah and how many or how about... many hannibal feels Oh, I, you know, I didn't even put that together. Oh, no. Because I was, I, no, mainly because I was just, like, really concerned about how they were going to play this. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So. Okay. Well. um, So how was your premiere with The Detour? The Detour was, was a lot of fun. Uh, the first two episodes. I was, I meant to watch this and I totally forgot it was starting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it airs on, uh, airs on Mondays, right? It's Mondays, I want to say. I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's right at the beginning of the week, so it's not like what I have to make sure I watch before the podcast. So it can, easy to miss, I th- would say. Um, this is a strong start. There's some, uh, you know, it's Jason Jones and Sam B are the creators, and it stars Jason Jones. Um, and he's also the writer of both of these first two. I think the first one also, Sam B wrote it with him. Um, but I believe the second episode was, was written by him. And he's really good. The family dynamic works well. The kids are a bit overly precocious. Uh, they don't always feel like kids, but then in some ways they do. Every now and again, they'll just do little shitty <laughs> things that work really nicely. Um, so it's, you know, on the whole, I would say that stuff works well and is entertaining. Uh, the main thing for me is uh, I just really enjoy Jason Jones, and it's wonderful to see Natalie Z get to be just funny, just really funny, and right. get material worthy of her. Uh, when she was used on Justified, I thought she was fantastic. And yeah. um, when she wasn't stealing money for no reason. But anyways, um, but it was never her fault. And it's just nice to see her get to have a rounded and interesting and fun character. And the dynamic between the, the couple uh, at the center is is nice. It, it seems like it's playing into s- certain stereotypes or cliches, but then steers out of that very nicely around the end of the, the second episode. There's a, a really great exchange between the two of them involving some uh, pot gummy like some edibles some gummy bears uh okay as well so and it's a good combination of some sight gags and um and farce and um and other things as well there's a character underneath as well there's a through line that a plot that i assume will be resolved in episode 10 the finale uh but yeah you know have you done the family road trip thing no, um, no, my family has never done that. Oh, okay. I have. I have. Every yeah. every other summer from the time I was a kid, uh, my extended family goes out to North Carolina. And, of course, we drive. We still drive. Why wouldn't we drive with <laughs> septinoctogenarians? Why wouldn't we drive straight for two days? Um, but uh, so, so I have I have plenty of road trip memories, most of them very pleasant um, to to give me extra connections. And now the, the the crazy events that happen in these two episodes never happened on my family road trips. But uh, I like to see. But they could have. How you know if the right amount of uh, things had gone wrong in just the the right way then you know it's fun to think of 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 how those connect and so anyways mm-hmm. I, I think it's just it's good it's a nice addition to their their lineup with uh full frontal which continues to be fantastic tbs by the way has taken to starting this week um not having full frontal up on their app until two days after it airs Boo, Boo. TBS. Well, and they put it up. Kevin Riley, you're better than that. Well, and they put it up on YouTube, all the segments individually, the next morning. So I was like, okay, so I just should, I'm just going to delete my TBS app and watch right. it on YouTube because I, 
I'm not going to wait another day when it's right there on YouTube. Uh, so I don't understand that. But it's they, you know, they're continuing to kill it over there. This is a nice extension of that. And so if this is the direction they're heading in with their comedies, as well as, of course, Andrew Tribeca, which we really enjoyed earlier this season, I am looking forward to uh, the new future of, of TBS comedy. So um, if you watch some of it this week, uh, then then we'll, we can check in. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it next week without that family connection to the Great American Road Trip. Um, yeah. But let's um, move on to a different kind of road trip. To another road trip. Exactly. Yeah. The Amazing Race, welcome to Bloody Fingers. And they did have arts and crafts in a way. They the candy making, they were stringing necklaces. Um, yeah. How did you feel about these episodes and which way would you have gone with those two tasks? Uh, what was this? The second task was just cleaning out Cleaning out something, out something right? but it was like a half hour trip to get there. Yeah, no, I would have totally gone for the cleaning thing. Mm-hmm. Um, no small part because I'm really tiny. Uh-huh. So I can get in. You, you I can could get, get in. into those casks. I would really actually easily. be worried about. I'm short. Uh, I mean, I'm actually average height, but I my entire family is tall. They're all like over six foot. So, uh, mm-hmm. it, so, so like I would be concerned about being able to reach the top part. I'd have to be like on mm-hmm. the ladder or something. But um, right, yeah. Well, couldn't you have just like leaned over into the cask and then gotten it? That oh, that's way? true. From the top, we didn't see anybody yeah. doing that. I suppose. No, no, no one did that. Yeah. Everyone was tall enough. But no, I would have done the cleaning thing because I also love to clean. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then that way, if we were competing together, you would have had to do the dancing. Oh yeah. Ha-ha. Yeah. That was so fun. I, I loved yeah. when they did that. Um, yeah. And I, I also, <laughs> I also appreciated, um, the one, uh, is it the Frisbee team? Right. Being like 10 years of salsa got this. And then as soon as he messed up any one thing, he would just like jump off the stage. This does not done. It's not perfect. It's like, God, dude, just finish. Put a smile on your face. The show must go on. You finish it, and then you take your medicine. You don't just, like, there's a row of people dancing behind you, you know, that are kicking that ass. That have to reset every time. have to reset every, time. every time. So the least you can do, it's, like, so, after a while, at least for me as a musician, if you keep stopping in the middle of a phrase, it can be really irritating. It's just, like, just let me resolve the chord. Just play the last note. Okay, now we can stop. But if you're going to stop on, like, the penultimate note every time, it's really frustrating. Um, so these are the things that I think about. Uh, but but so did you think that was a good a good dance challenge? I did, um, and I was I was I was really excited because last week I was just like I want a shake up, damn it, mm-hmm. and I got a shake up this week. <laughs> it was really great. Like teams got shuffled around in the standings, so everyone's got like new advantages at least in start times. Mm-hmm. So that's really exciting. Um, but I was literally like jumping up and down and shouting at my screen at the end. Yeah. Because I was freaking out about the bags and whether or not they were going to finish the dancing. I was also angry at Blair for making her dad do the dance I challenge. I know, right? I was just like, "You, what is wrong with you? Your dad is kind of an old fellow. Yeah. And you're making him do the dance thing. And you're just sitting there going like, I, I've only seen my daddy dance once. I've seen him at dance his wedding. at weddings. It's like, yeah, it's like, he'll be fine. Well, it's like, and she had him do all of the 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 all the the sewing stuff yeah. because he's just, he's got like the deft fingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which and I understand. You need but... finger strength for that. Yeah, sure. But you, she was just sitting there stirring the sugar, which you do need yeah. once you start cooking. You do need to stir it constantly, or else it will, you know, burn. And yeah. I think yes, that needs to be done. But that doesn't need to be done the whole time that he's string. She could have done a string of them. Oh man, that was really irritating to yeah. me. Yeah. 
And I was just like, I in my brain, I was just like, I feel like Blair hasn't done any roadblocks. Yeah. But she, they'd actually split them up evenly up to this point. Yeah. The only people that haven't split up their roadblocks evenly, take a guess. The dancer? The frisbee Fris- players. Oh, the frisbee. This is, this is Kurt's second roadblock. Ah, okay. He's only done one other one before this. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I was... Because Blair has been very sweet uh, and very nice, but yes. like, just that that dynamic um, can just be really irritating to me of the, yeah. you know, daddy's little girl kind of thing. Yeah. And so I was just like, you're very nice. Everybody seems to really like you, and you. Brody so- seems to really like <laughs> yeah. you. Well, they're very <laughs> supportive of the other teams and everything, but your dad is like exhausted you know or your dad was doing this whole thing and then he's doing the um the dance you made him do the dance challenge and then you made you made him go run back with the bag when you could have run back with the bag i mean even though he's exhausted from just dancing and then yeah yeah it's it was it was time so do you have a preferred team at this point Still not really, no, no. which is okay for me. Like, it's just like, that's kind of how I get with reality competition shows is that most of the time if I latch onto a person, I'll latch on. But if by this stage, I'm not going to find anyone. I'm just like watching it to watch people do stuff. Fair enough. Right. Well, and we don't have a man bun. That's nice, right? Yeah, that is nice. Do you have a team though? Are you still rooting for Tyler? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty pretty equal on everybody. Yeah, I I mean, as a fan of Rooster Teeth... Even though I haven't sure. watched in a while, you know, I enjoy that they're doing well. But uh, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty even keel on it. And uh, I continue to just enjoy the creativity of the challenges. So I need to move on to our next show, Brooklyn Nine-Nine Bureau, because we need to talk, however briefly, about uh, how much of a Samantha Holt is. Because he is such a Samantha, a total Samantha. <laughs> I, I love that his way to distract the guard was to say that that uh, Carrie needed to end up with M- Mikhail Baryshnikov. Uh, that was just delightful. That was so good, and such an insight that he immediately grasped onto the, that. That's the yeah. W- that that would be the dividing point for. Any Sex in the City fans? Yeah, any Sex in like, the City fan would be like, "You're a blasphemer." <laughs> right, exactly. Everyone knows it's it's big. Well, but no, you could have a conversation, big or Aiden or nobody, because none of them really were the right fit. Yeah. Or Carrie, you know, Team Carrie. But um, yeah. but yeah, everyone agrees. Not Mikhail Bergen Chicago. That was nice. yeah, listeners. We have not done a Sex in the City DVD shelf. I have, I have tried to get a couple different people on the podcast to do Sex in the City, um, and it mm-hmm. has not worked out to this point. But uh, but I am a fan of the of, of that show, and I do share Holt's opinion that they just should have never made those movies. Yeah. Yeah. That's from what I understand. People hated the movies. I've seen most of the show, but I never saw any of the movies. I, I heard the plot synopsis. I was like, "No, Steve would never cheat on Miranda." I'm not even watching that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, do you, I'm Abu don't Abu don't exactly. Uh, any other thoughts on this episode? Um, Dennis Haysbert was great. Yeah, um, so fun. Perfect, perfect compliment for Holt. Where do you think he learned it, punk? <laughs> and so plenty of really good stuff in that episode. Um, the prison stuff is kind of meh so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but the FBI investigation has been really solid so far. Um, Haysbert being a double agent didn't matter yeah. to me. It was just like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Why not? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, but okay, let's do it. <laughs> No, I'm, that's fine. It, it 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 
I, I kind of saw that one coming. Just as soon as he's like, I will stay here. I was like, okay, if they don't go back to them standing in, sil- in comfortable silence, then mm-hmm. he's a traitor. Because either it's a joke or it's not. And if it's not, then. Um, but the main thing for me is that, ooh, that means that we're going to get another episode with him. Yay. Yes. That's the, Which is exciting. The main thing for me. Um, well, unless you have anything else, let's move on to our last show of the week in comedy and reality. And that's Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Why is Josh in a bad mood? That's good. That, I does like that, that work? Uh, that's my that's yeah. an attempted, you know, implied uh, exclamation point along with that question mark. Um, I loved the music this week, the two songs again. I'm back on the train, uh, hardcore for for the craziest girlfriend songs. How is this one for you? Uh, also really good. Um, I don't think I would ever ever sing a rock song about being proud of the fact that I gave a woman a UTI. <laughs> Because, uh, no, that's terrible. Why would you be proud of that? I mean, despite the idea that I'm just going to take some painkillers and some cranberry cranberry pills. No, you don't get to be proud of that. <laughs> Those things are really painful. Don't, don't, don't be proud of that. Yeah. I, but I, it's a really good song. I, I really enjoy the, and I'll totally pay for that spin bike. Because I know as soon as you have to reserve that ahead of time. Yeah. And it can be, like, I got that. Yeah, like, that was just such a, the timing of that worked, worked really well. But no, I mean, like, he's just such a, a he's just such a jerk and he goes he's so ego-centered um that it, it just it worked for the character and was a you know adorable and endearing at the same time just because yeah. of the joy and because he's been like er, like everyone's saying this is you're smiling that's weird that's weird that you're smiling um mm-hmm. but but the highlight for me outside of the music was was father bra who remains amazing uh he does remain amazing yeah that was pretty awesome <laughs> I liked his confession about thinking about sex still and forgetting <laughs> that sometimes he's he's not allowed to. I'm just like, I just want an episode about Father Bra's life. Yeah, yeah. We need a song. We need something. How about yeah. how about that uh, the feeling the feelings montage? Um, it it got so quickly overshadowed by um the following song mm-hmm. with her talking about. Oh my god! I think I like you. Right? Yeah. Yeah, my God, I think I like you. It's just like I immediately kind of forgot about his angry karate, mm-hmm. um, but it was a it was nicely executed mm-hmm. and felt very of a piece of kind of riffing on a nineteen eighties training montage, but being about emotions. Of course, so it does. And, course, and, and I know I was supposed to be thinking Footloose, but I wasn't thinking Footloose. I was thinking the Bob's Burgers, Jimmy Jr. dance sequence parody of Footloose. Yeah, that's where sure. I went. Um, I think that's fair. Yeah. And I was thinking like Chuck Norris. So I mean, there you go. we were in really different headspaces <laughs> with that one. Fair enough. Um, yeah, next week is the finale. We're gonna we're gonna miss you. Tears. Yeah. But we'll be back. Yes, in the fall. Um, okay. Any final thoughts on uh, Crazy's Girlfriend, or if not, what wins your week in comedy and reality? Uh, I'll give it to, why is Josh in a bad mood? Yeah, no, me too. Definitely Crazy yeah. Ex-Girlfriend. Like, lots of things I like, but definitely Crazy Ex-Girlfriend this week. Yeah. yeah. Now we'll take a break, listen to a little more Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and come back with our weekend genre. You've been tearing me up for a week and a half. I don't mean like in my heart. I mean physically. It's scary, but you send me back on my heels. 
this weekend genre, I'm going to talk a bit about the Outlander premiere, Through a Glass Darkly. Then we'll both chat about Fear the Walking Dead, which had its premiere, Monster. iZombie, which had its finale, Deadbeat and Salivation Army. The Hundred, it's back in the rotation, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Fallen and Nevermore. And we'll round things out with a little bit of the frothy concoction that is Legends of Tomorrow, The Magnificent Eight. But first up is Outlander, which had its season two premiere. I'm so glad Outlander is back, guys. I know I know you don't watch it. You don't, you don't have stars, but... Um, I really enjoyed this premiere. Uh, to, to jump right into the action with, and, and I, I helps so I think uh, that I have a general sense, general sense of the book's outline. So I like, I know kind of just a little bit of where she is and why she's there and everything. Um, but to jump right back to the, the future air quotes of the 40s at the start of this premiere the last thing we saw was uh claire and jamie off to france on a boat and she's pregnant and then we cut to the future uh of or her future i guess of the 40s and she's still pregnant but it's two years later for him and she says she's been there for two years for for I should say her husband for Frank um but I, th- I think it was so af- after the brutality of the end of the previous season if they're going to incorporate Frank at all they needed to let Tobias Menzies have some time with that character some significant time right up at the top of the season um kind of cleanse the palate from Captain uh, Jack from Jack Randall um and I think he does tre- tremendous work here. Um, it's easy f- to focus on Katrina Balfe and uh, Sam Hagen, I think, but Tobias Menzies is just as important part of that, uh, you know, the triangle of the leads on the show. And the the discussions we get here work really well. Um, the the in, her inability to accept his acceptance of her answers of "I traveled in time," I think works really really well i mean like she can accept jamie believing her because he's a simpleton from the past or whatever but like she can't really accept frank believing her because it's crazy she knows that it's crazy um and so that you know the way that that conversation goes over the course of the episode and his anger and the everything um I think works very well. And then cutting back to Jamie and seeing, you know, where apparently we'll be following a split timeline for at least part of the season, um, I think works really well and gets us sort of reestablished with where she is um, in France and, and what's going on. So like, like we know that this is a show where obviously we know Jamie and, um, excuse me, and Claire are going to be fine. They're not, <laughs> they're not going to get killed off. So it's not like jumping to the future uh, and knowing that she survives whatever happens in France and ends up back in, you know, modern London for her. Uh, that doesn't really spoil anything. It doesn't take away any of the dramatic tension. So I think the structure should work well for the show. And um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the, the scoring, uh, I really appreciate the way that they're distinguishing, you know, France with this sort of... Um, Baroque cello feel um, works well to distinguish the past from last season with the past this season, but also the pa- the past this season with the future this season. The sounds are very different, and it just her Claire responding to modern music and cars and airplanes and everything after being in you know back in the past for two years. Uh, it's all it all works really well, and it's just it's a delightful show to have back, <laughs> and especially when we're not having 
horrible, horrifying, traumatizing uh, torture and rape scenes, uh, which yet, is, yet, yet, I don't think we'll get it again. But but it's also they bring that up in this episode. Jamie's not just like fixed and magically okay, which I think um, is is good. The fact that they're process to continue to process that and that she's um, trying to get him to talk and everything is um, when he is comfortable doing it when he's able to do it uh, is, is a, just such a good sign. And, and I think it's an important detail uh, for the show to just for the continuing strong treatment on the show of that trauma of kind of saying, yes, this is something that's not just magically fixed. They're going to have to keep processing and they're going to have to keep addressing it. And people need time and Jamie needs time. And, and this is how you should help your partner um, or try to help your partner if you can. Uh, so I just think it's, it's again, a, a fun premiere they get the energy right, and I look forward to following it this season. Um, but let's move on to Fear the Walking Dead, because I'm tired of talking, and I want to hear what you think about this one, especially now that you're coming fresh off of the disappointing end of The Walking Dead. How was Fear the Walking Dead uh, monster for you, Noel? Really boring. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, I think the best thing that I can, when I'm thinking about Fear the Walking, especially this premiere, was... and thinking also till season one was a lot of people had like valid concerns about fear of the walking dead season one and were just like eh, it's too much like the worst parts of the other show i just went well i don't know about those parts so this is all seems kind of novel to me um <laughs> so it's not it's not an issue but with this episode i was just like oh okay well you guys skipped through the really interesting aspect of the world ending to go to a military containment camp, basically. So we skipped all the fun stuff about society's collapse. That was a mistake, but okay, fine. But now we're going to start in media res with Los Angeles burning to the ground. And I'm just like, this is significantly more interesting than watching you all debate whether or not to pick up survivors on your boat. Well, and they're not even really debating. They're just like, no. they're saying, we need to save them. Yeah. <laughs> no. That's, no. That's not My boat, debate. my boat, my goddamn boat. That was a good scene, though. That was good. <laughs> that was a great scene. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just like, okay, so we're falling into this idea of, oh, we have to, we're already concerned about this unseen dangerous enemy that we've had tangential contact with. And I just went, wait, don't you guys do this on the other show all the time <laughs> Negan <laughs> right exactly or the governor or whatever it is you hear about some faraway threat and then it comes for you mm-hmm. so I'm just like oh well this is really boring and yeah I was just really disappointed by this entire thing okay as a premiere and um aside from the coolness of zombies and water which I'm was like the only kind of neat thing that they did mm-hmm um yeah i just went oh this is this is not good i was really looking forward to something really interesting happening and i think all the interesting stuff happened before the episode started okay fair enough um um, how did you feel about this i was much more positive than you on this one but it doesn't sound like that would have been hard i didn't think it was great but um but i you know i just really enjoy this cast and right the cast is amazing yeah, I, I like that they gave Alicia Debbie and Carrie more to do. Uh, I think. Uh, sure. Did they, though? Then they did last season, absolutely. Well, but she's still operating in the same vein of, oh, there's a boy out there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that is not untrue. Um, but 
Uh, I did like I, th- I thought she brought a lot to that conversation over the thing over the 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 radio or whatever. Yes, she was really good in that. Yeah, um, and I just I enjoy watching Kim Dickens, you know, talk about stuff. I'm yeah. a, I'm a sucker for for a good Kim Dickens angsty. Well, not even angsty, just like. Get your shit together. Get your shit together conversation, which is like yeah. so much of what her stuff was on Tremay, at least with Davis, um, her character, at least. Uh, I also enjoy Cl- Cliff Curtis. I'm going to need something to change or come up soon because the dynamic of we want to help people, no, is going to get really old really quickly. Um, and I think already starts to do that in this episode. But yeah. clearly things have, are, are going to be sh- shaken up, up in this next episode with Jack and their boat or whoever that is. Um, Maybe they're in the outrigger from Lost. Oh, my God. Finally, we know. Mr. Friendly. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I've heard that the next episode uh, almost right away is, is better than this one. So who knows? Um, but certainly by apparently by the third episode, things get moving a bit more so um we'll see how it goes for right now but yeah i think it's novel right now it's novel but they don't okay have food they have a desalinizer. i like that they threw that in there the dis- desalinizer or whatever so that they can drink water they have a ton of booze too <laughs> very very helpful that liquor cabinet is stocked yeah and yet i feel like it wouldn't like i feel like uh our, our friend the captain could go through that pretty quick as could kim dickens right and yeah but also plenty of materials for model top cocktails that's true and i would be surprised if that did not come up good good eye you're thinking you're thinking Noel. clearly i need you in my bunker for the zompocalypse um but speaking of zompocalypse it's time to talk about speaking of literal zompocalypse so okay so i listeners i sat down to watch this and did not realize it was two episodes so i have seen the first half of the iZombie finale after not having seen it for several weeks. I just jumped in with it, really enjoyed Deadbeat, and then got to the end and went, wait, that doesn't seem right. Didn't I read something about the zombie apocalypse happening? Um, you did. <laughs> okay, is there, there's another episode. Oops. So, Noel, how was Salvation Army, as well as Deadbeat, and and is, was this a strong end to the season for of iZombie for you? Um, I really enjoyed Deadbeat as well. Um, just a lot of really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved the end of Ravi, like, coming to the rescue and everything. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that was great for him, um, yeah. I thought. And a lot of fun and just, like, that he figured it out was also really great. I appreciated him going, wait a minute, something's not right here. Even though I bought all the pastries, something's <laughs> not right here. Also, that bagel was mine. <laughs> Um, so, but Salvation Army is, uh, I want you to watch it. Mm-hmm. I will, I will. It's it's really good. Um, A, there's so many previous Rob Thomas show jokes in this. Mm-hmm. There are two Party Down references, including Stephen Weber's character actually just literally says, are we having fun yet? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. So that's really good, but... Um, it's a really good... They do a really nice job of having their zombie apocalypse by having some uh, Max Rager lab techs mix Max Rager with some uh, Utopium. Mm-hmm. And it causes instant transformation. Oh, okay. So they just start running wild at the big launch party for Max Rager, which is... Oh, Kate. It's a prison lock-in <laughs> themed party. <laughs> 
And someone actually says a prison lock, prison, a prison themed party. White people. <laughs> um, so no, it's really good in that regard. So it manages, it's great because they get plenty of like little jokes, but it's also great because it makes sure that the zombies can't spill out into Seattle and like cause too much havoc. Mm-hmm. So it's really well contained. Um, there's some genuine pathos as um, Drake gets killed and because he's gone, he's gone like full zombie rogue type stuff because of experimentations and everything. And just all this really fun stuff. But then, it, remind me, in Deadbeat, does the military, private military contractor buy Max Rager in that? Yes. Okay, great. So the private military contractor like are, are there at mm-hmm. the party for everything. And um, she turns like most of her crew and herself into zombies. And it ends with Liv coming up upon them, eating the brains of a very special guest star who I will not spoil for the sake of amusement. Mm -hmm. And basically says, well, guess what? Seattle's going to be ground zero for the zombie apocalypse that I'm going to start. So pick a side, Liv. Ooh, that's fun. And I just went, that's really cool. I'm really excited about this. And then I immediately went, is that too big for this show? Because mm-hmm. that's my concern with this going forward is, all right, you have a private military contractor who's ready to basically turn all of Seattle into zombies on purpose for like a private military force, I guess. I'm not entirely sure what her plan is. It doesn't make but any I'm... sense. You can't have too many zombies or there aren't enough brains. Yeah. So I don't know, like, what her plan is, but I'm also just like, how do you do... My immediate thought is, like, you have to slow that down a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's a private military contractor. They don't do things slowly. They yeah. go in and kill things. That's what, they, that's what they're there for in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I don't know what this is. I've been... They've earned enough goodwill for me to get, have a leash on this idea. Okay. And I mean, Rob Thomas is great, and his other showrunner, whose name I cannot remember, is really great. And it's, I'm excited to see where they're going, but it's just like, but you can't do that. And I mean, Mr. Big's still out there. Like, they don't mm-hmm. resolve that issue at all in this. So I'm just like, there's a lot of like little dangling threads, even though Clive's in on everything now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm excited. I'm really, really excited. But I'm also just like, this is kind of a big thing for you to do for a show that was a cop procedural. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm interested to see where they're going, but I'm a little nervous about it at the same time. I'm like hesitant that they're biting off more than they could chew. (laughs) Nice. Um, The last thing I'll say, I'm intrigued by that uh, finale. Uh, I was surprised how much I was invested in the second to last episode, considering that had been my issue with it, where I just, I was watching the same show as you know, but just not watching the same show. Right, 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 right. <laughs> didn't right. really care enough about it, um, or I cared about the characters, but just it wasn't clicking for me. It wasn't uh, coming together in a satisfying way for me. But this second to last episode Deadbeat really did. I was, uh, maybe it's just time away from it helped. Yeah, that helps a lot you in know, a lot of cases. Yeah. I just also feel like it was just a, better episode because there were such high stakes with um with with, with major uh and, and of course with clive finding out um that god also, that scene where she stabbed herself so I was good freaking the fuck 
walked out. I was like put. I was putting new sheets on my bed and watching it on my laptop, and I just went. <gasps> I was freaking out, Kate. It's freaking out. And then the last thing is making a strong play, early play for 2016 Sixth Man Award. Ken Marino, because he's got Children's Hospital. He's got Agent Carter. He he's in Fresh Off the Boat as the newscaster guy every now and again. And now this guy's zombie. He was fantastic as always, but so fun in the second to last episode. Right, and I liked how they brought him in and then just like bought a bunch of like random stuff from season one back in. Like mm-hmm. I forgot that major peed in the freezer, and then that just came back as an issue. I'm just like, yeah. kudos, 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 show for not wasting a damn thing. Well, that's like that's like Iroh's sandal not being wasted on Avatar the Last Airbender. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that's a good jumping off place to take us to the hundred. because uh, I I just I it, it talk about wasting things on a show. Um so the, the I think these last two episodes, because we didn't talk about last week, I think these last two episodes are much better than the show has been for a lot of the season. Nevermore uh, is particularly strong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the stuff with Raven, incredibly compelling. Bringing up all their ghosts works really, really well. Um, however, when Bellamy's saying, is this, you ever realize that you're not the good guy? It's like, I just wanted to, it was like, show, we don't care about Bellamy now because you ruined him. This is asinine. Are you kidding me? He slaughtered, can, he helped slaughter 300 people while they slept who were there to protect him because what if someday they don't and then like he actually like this is this like oh maybe i'm not the good no you slaughter people in their sleep who were there to protect you so no and you don't get to have a moment bellamy that's sorry i don't give no a shit epiphanies for you no just leave go away and be gone off like i i just i was so with octavia (laughs) in this episode um so yeah that they're gonna try to they're trying to rehabilitate him they're already so clearly on that as their main through line and bringing back the clark and bellamy undercurrent as well it's just like painful to watch yeah no it's super painful to watch and like you and like everyone else i'm just like bellamy is beyond fixing at this point and yeah. from from a audience relationship perspective he's beyond fixing yeah because he, they just turned him into something else because they needed something else yeah and without any like real groundwork or anything like that it just went oh and you're gonna kill all the people that your sister is basically aligning herself with like yeah. literally aligning herself with <laughs> yeah no show <laughs> That's not how characters work. That's not how writing, good writing works. That's just bad. So, yeah. yeah. How how were you with these with these episodes? Um, Fallen's kind of like fuzzy in my memory. I don't care about Murphy and the new um, commander. Um, Mm -hmm. As much as I enjoy Murphy doing what's best for Murphy, and I really enjoy Murphy doing what's best for Murphy, Um, because that's interesting and he provides just dry commentary on his situation and he reckon he's so adaptable is what i think i like about murphy in these yeah. situations is that he recognizes exactly what he needs to do to survive and he does that so it's just like oh i need to pose as the 
flame keeper or whatever Titus was. Yeah. And I'm going to do that. <laughs> and then I'm actually going to do it by giving actual advice. <laughs> well, and he doesn't respond to the the pressures he's put in in mm-hmm. the same way that every other Everyone else does. does. Right. So that yeah. makes it feel so much more fresh. He's very, he's very uh, pragmatic <laughs> at times. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't have a pained conflict of the soul. He goes, this is yeah. shitty. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to do. Yeah. That saves a lot of time and uh, is, it feels uh, fresh at this point. Um, yes. So rape or not rape? I mean, he, he's, cur- he's, he's coerced into providing basic consent, basically. I mean, it's the kind of pragmatic thing that we, you were just mentioning is just like, yeah, I don't really have a choice on this, but of the choices not to have, this is not a terrible choice within his perspective, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's coerced, but I mean, he's he doesn't have a choice in the matter. So it's it's rape, but I mean, it's willing yeah. rape, I guess, if well, there's such a thing. Because he says no, and yeah. she says, I don't accept that answer. Yeah. And you have to do what I say. And then he goes, well... If I have to have sex with you, at least I'm going to have fun. Yeah. Uh, so that is, I think that's why it's, and I, I don't think it's intended to be, I don't think they mean for you to read that as rape. No, um, they totally do not. Which is why, it, and that's why they make sure they have him smile. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. if he didn't, then it would be very clear. Clear. Um, but I just was watching this going, show, are you fucking kidding me with this? Are you, are you, can, we, can we not go an episode without a problematic uh, scene? So they kill Lexa in the way that they killed her. And then they kill Lincoln. And then they basically have Murphy get raped. And then they kill Monty's mom. <laughs> Seriously, one week off, please. I guess they did give us one week off between Lexa and... And yes, Lincoln. they did. They did yeah, give us nothing, one week off. Nothing happened in that we episode. We just didn't care about that episode. No. Um, yeah. um, on the upside, though, Nevermore was really, really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. I tweeted that I felt vaguely vindicated, even though the show has been a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. I felt vaguely vindicated in the fact that all the Jaha-related City of Light stuff, which is stuff I was super into and really excited about, and a lot of people were just like, eh, about, and I was just like, but it's actually the only good thing on the show now. <laughs> By default, it's the best thing on the show, but it's actually good. <laughs> but because he's not Jaha anymore. Right. Yeah, and my problem with Jaha is I don't give a shit about Jaha and his, like, messiah complex and his, I, I, it must, there must be a reason. I must have a purpose in my life. There has to be a reason. I've allowed all these people around me to die and not abandoned my, you know, self-obsessed quest. Um, and so... As soon as we get away from that crap, uh, it's a lot easier for me to enjoy the scenes with Jaha. Again. Yeah. Because he's not Jaha. Uh, That's fair. But Abby's under Allie's control now, and I am sad. Yeah. They remembered she exists, which is Yeah. No, she just disappeared for two episodes when a whole coup was happening, and she wasn't around for that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she just showed up to be mind-controlled again. Um... But, but I, you, I liked the scenes with her. They were yes, well. I did. And all the stuff with Raven, as you mentioned, has just been phenomenal. So good. I forgot just how much that character had been through. Because it's been a while since they actually yeah. shot it. 
Right, and she's been through a lot, and the actress um, has been... Just her aping the body language and voice inflections of the woman who plays Allie, mm-hmm. when Allie's, like, in control of Raven, like, fully in control of Raven, was really sharp. Yeah. Like, she was standing and... I mean, it's one thing yeah. just to kind of hold your hands in the same manner, but it's yeah. another for her to stand, like, in the same kind of posture. Yeah. And to have the same kind of voice. And, I mean, that's just really good studying and work going into that performance right there. Yeah. And I just really, really appreciate it. It was really sharp stuff. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts on, on the, the 100, on, on Monty? Do we have to have him kill his mom? It just feels like misery porn at a certain point. Yeah, but I mean, you're supposed to enjoy porn. <laughs> There's that, <laughs> and I don't enjoy this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose so. It's just misery. I mean, when we say misery porn, there has to be like a sense of catharsis and release. Yeah, yeah. and there's no catharsis or release from this. This is just turgid. This is who's had a good season. Well, Monty yeah. got his mom back, so we could take that away. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Oh well. DC's Legends of Tomorrow, The Magnificent Eight. This is an episode just like square in the center of my nerd wheelhouse until Rip takes the whole thing over and we're weighed down with Rip angst drama, which I don't care about. I care about silly, dorky Ray in the Old West. I care about uh, Sarah being a bamf uh, in her outfit with the, the horses. She's so into it. So into it. Uh, I care about uh, Cold Beat being like a gunslinger. Like that was all so much fun. Jo- Jonah Hex. I don't. I haven't seen the film. I have not read the comics. But that was an interesting thing to add in. I thought that for the most part worked well. But then <laughs> had to go be Angst City with with Rip for a while there, and that was when I sort of came out of it. Um, how, how, what did you think? Because I know that you're not the Westerns person that I am. No. Love that I love that shit. Um, how, how was it for you? Um, well, one, I'm glad that you loved the episode, because I really enjoyed it as well. Um, and I'm glad that as a bigger fan of Westerns, you were just a little more like, but there, it wasn't the West. It was somewhere else. Like, there were lots of trees and everything, and I just went... I mentioned this in, like, I tweeted about this and mentioned in my review. It's just, like, one of the best westerns takes place in Washington State and was shot in Vancouver, and it's McCabe and Mrs. Miller. And it's just, like, that's one of the best westerns ever, period, Mm -hmm. and full stop. And that was shot in Vancouver, and it's amazing. But I'll just dive right into your point about Rip and the angst and everything and say that it worked for me because it worked within the confines of their genre riff. Mm-hmm. Because you had the reluctant hero from a past tragedy who doesn't want to get involved because of that past tragedy. And it's just like, that's pure Western. <laughs> that is pure Western hero stuff of, oh, I saw some shit in the war and I'm not getting involved in this small town's affairs. And then he gets involved anyway because he can't help himself. But he's okay. Rip just spends all his time whining. That's the trouble I have with Rip. They've made me not like Arthur Darville, and I don't know if I can forgive them for that. <laughs> I would not have thought that possible. Whereas I thought that this was actually a fairly nice shading and like explanation for why he, beyond why he wants revenge, but he innately wants to do good. 
and the Time Masters just drilled that out of him. And I thought that this was a nice example of him having previously done some, wanting to do something good and getting caught up in doing good things and then remembering that he wasn't supposed to do good things. And I thought that felt that that was a really good shading of him and his motivations here. And you're giving me a face of like, what the f*** are you talking about? No, just my eyes can't roll more than they are. Oh, okay. Um, it's, no, it's just the... I, I want to... Again, we've had this conversation before. Yeah. You're giving them so much more credit than I'm willing to give them. And, I mean, because this also, we have the episode, like, this has been an entire season of, I have to save my son. Oh, you want to help this other kid? No, you can't do that. I, I, I'm not going to acknowledge the hypocrisy of that. I refuse to. So, dot, 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 you can't save the kid. Like, if he was, like, if he could at least acknowledge his hypocrisy, it's like, yeah, I realize I'm being hypocritical, but this is, I'm breaking the rules and I shouldn't be doing it, but I am because it's my kid. Uh, and I know that I'm being shitty to you about it, but this is what is st still the right thing. And I have to try to argue against like, but he's, they don't do that. Mm. And so it's just, it just makes me so frustrated <laughs> with the character. No, I can understand that. But it just doesn't bother me, but it also doesn't bother me because that thing with the kid was so horrible and yeah, bad and dumb good. and really terrible because H.G. Wells wasn't in the U.S. <laughs> it's always H.G. Wells, by the way, might I add. Uh, like there's an episode of, of Doctor Who where there's a character, there's a young boy through it all the way. At the end, you find out that it's that is H.G. Wells. Oh, that's the he's going to grow up to become H.G. Wells, too. And, and plus, we all know that H.G. Wells is really a woman. We saw it in Warehouse 13. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's just, oh, God, that's also one of the worst episodes of Doctor Who and like when I say episodes, I mean stories. But in the fifty-plus year history of Doctor Who, it's one of the worst. So, yeah, that tells you something. Uh, but as soon as they're like, people call me Bertram, I was like, why are there British people out here? You're gonna be someone famous. That's that's gonna happen. Right. And also, if you have tuberculosis. You don't go to the old west yeah. that is foggy sure, and rainy. Constitutional? <laughs> Are you? You go to like to to take the airs. You don't go to the old west. You don't go like out like across an ocean before airplanes on a bumpy cart for like. It must take them a year to just to get there. He's right. been like this for a year. And H.G. Wells' family had no money. Yeah. He routinely discussed how his yep. family was poor. Yep. <laughs> just stupid. Just stupid. And but. I can accept a lot of things. I can accept the fact that the show's never going to tell me where Kendra's wings go <laughs> when she's not using them. Yeah. But I refuse to accept H.G. Wells in the United States yep. as a seven-year-old. Well, fair um, enough. What did you think about the Kendra stuff this week and meeting her past, her past self? I uh, really enjoy that actress. So that's Yeah, no, she's up. fantastic. Yeah, um... On the whole, though, I just don't. I don't care the way they want me to care. Yeah, because I don't. It was care really about repetitive Carter. too. Yeah, they've done this several times, and they just be like, maybe she and her and Ray aren't going to be a forever couple. And it's like you guys have hit the drum about beat the drum about this so much that I just I was I barely cared even a little to start with, and mostly yeah. I did because it seemed like Ray cares. Yes. Um, but at this point, I just I like negative care. So. Um, they don't, I also am not as invested in true love, you know, and long-term forever for the, for those two, the way that right. they want me to be. 
Um, so, and it's also partially because they're fine together, but it's not like they've got amazing chemistry. It's not no. like they're particularly memorable. So, right. Um, Cold and Cold and Sarah have more chemistry. Way more chemistry. <laughs> Sarah and everyone, basically. Right. Cold and everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so yeah, it's just hard to get invested. Um, so f- it was fine. And it let, yeah. you know, her, Kendra and Sarah be, be paired up a bit, which I think works. I think that dynamic works yeah. well. It does. But they've continued to develop and expand that and have done so throughout the season. Um, but it's just, it's just nice to see the women off together since it, because of the gender disparity in the show, it's very easy for them to not get scenes together. So I thought that, yeah. that you know, it was, it was fine, but I was just more in it for the dorky jokes. That's fair. Yeah. So what wins your week in genre? Uh, I'll give it to the iZombie finale, the one, two punch, the deadbeat and, um, Salvation Army. Yeah, no, both of those episodes were really great and just a lot of fun. Plenty of really good stuff. I cannot wait for you to watch Salvation Army. Please tweet me all your responses <laughs> so do. I can watch you watch the show mm-hmm. that way. Fair what enough. about you? What won your week? Oh, I'm definitely uh, Outlander. Um, and maybe, you know, iZombie would have been in contention if I had seen all of it, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but I really did. Uh, I'm just so happy to have Outlander back. So I'm looking forward. I'm hoping that 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 the last two episodes of the previous season were it making the leap um, and that it'll yeah. continue at that level. Um, if not, then it, where it'll just be a lot of fun with occasional flashes of brilliance, I will take that too. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, you know, we'll see how they continue. But um, very glad to have it back. And everything's going to look so pretty next week because they're going to court. Have you seen the pictures? I've seen some of the pictures. Um, I'm sure it'll be very pretty. Super pretty. Well, on that on that note, super pretty. Uh, we'll we'll take a break. Let's do some super some super pretty music and come back with our week in drama. We will carry each other to the light, oh light. Carry each other to the light. Oh, we will carry each other to the light, oh carry each other to the light we will carry each other to the light oh light carry each other to the light i'll carry you you carry me we will carry each other to the light This week in drama, I'm going to talk a bit about The Girlfriend Experience, which started up on Stars this week with uh, two episodes, Entry and A Friend. Uh, then I'll talk a little bit about The Americans, Clark's Place, before we move on and talk about Elementary, All In, and Art Imitates Art, uh, Underground, Troubled Water, and we'll round things up with The Path, The Future. So first up is The Girlfriend Experience, and I know, Noel, you haven't had a chance to see this because uh, you don't have stars, but um, I, I enjoy these these two episodes, it's, um, I had the fun experience of, I assumed that this was an hour long show and then watched, uh, the, pulled up the first episode and it was half an hour and I was super excited until I remembered that there were two. So it actually was an hour, but that was a pleasant surprise. I think this works much better as a half hour show than it necessarily would as an hour. So I'm looking forward to having, um, I mean, s- subscribers to stars, uh, the, the app and everything 
can watch all the episodes online, but they're going to be airing one a week. Um, and on the whole, I think um, that's a good approach for this. It's a very um, internal show, so much of it. It's about a, a young woman who gets an internship at a law firm and has a friend who works as an escort and so decides to start doing some sex work and uh, to, to be a sex worker uh, as like along with her internship to, to make some money and make ends meet and, and uh, support her, you know, year long unpaid internship um, or lowly paid internship. And I, you know, her response is she's very, reflexive or reflective she doesn't really you know externalize everything she spends a lot of time thinking which i think is appropriate for the for the character and for a kind of show about a young woman deciding to try sex work um because I, I feel like the way that the if it was a more let's talk about our feelings kind of show it just that that wouldn't be that wouldn't be very Soderbergh. Uh, this is not by Soderbergh. It's executive produced by Soderbergh. It's by by Lodge Kerrigan and Amy Simetz. Um, but it, but based on his film, based on the film, yeah, which I have not seen. Have you seen the film? I have seen the film. Okay, so it, does that follow the same narrative of the young girl working um, in discovering sex work as a way to uh, support her unpaid internship? It's been a while since I've seen it, um, but. From what I remember, she was already fairly involved at that point, so okay. this wasn't a new thing mm-hmm. um, for the movie. I just remember really liking the movie, um, but it's been, what is this, 2016? It's been at least a, eight, nine years since I've seen it. Okay. So it's been a long time. I just remember liking it, okay. but I, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, I, I think it's an interesting show, and I think that an honest discussion of at least, I mean, I don't know how accurate it is, but it seems, it feels, it has the ring of authenticity to it, at least of, um, you know, an honest kind of discussion of sex work and like this kind of elite end of things where, um, someone can make thousands of dollars for an evening, um, is, and, and that being a, a, a cho- presented as a legitimate choice this person can make that, may work out terribly for her or may be very satisfying and um and maybe something that that is actually enriching in her life depending on you know how she values um you know the the value she puts in others social constraints i guess um obviously if something happens and she gets busted and has to go to jail it's a very different conversation but i don't think that's the show that this that the series is interested in being. So instead it looks, it feels like it's gonna be much more about her discovering herself and, and I think what we follow in these first two episodes of the friend presenting this as, as, you know, a really positive thing. And then after being left by her, John, uh, I don't remember the, the boyfriend's name, um, really, having a really hard time because she's so invested in like, because of that rejection then feels so significant to her. Cause that's her job is this, this is her full job. The friend's job. She's not trying to build a law career at the same time. So she can, when she's left, that's just devastating to her, even as she tries to pretend that it's not a big deal. So um, I, I think it's, it, it should be a really interesting show about, you know, self assessment and, you know, trying to balance all these different things and 
how the character is valued and values herself and values others. Um, I think that that should, that should be very interesting. Juxtaposing her position as an intern where she has no power and no say in her work versus as a sex worker where she is able to take, take or leave clients. At least that's how it's presented right now. Um, have, and have a lot of control over her experience and her, um, her work should be, there's a lot of fertile ground there. So, uh, I look forward to seeing how it is explored from people who've seen more episodes. They seem very positive on the season as a whole. I'm going to be watching it week to week as opposed to trying to catch all of it, uh, or, or, or marathon it. But, um, I look forward to hearing what other people think. Cause I look forward to hearing what you have to think. Um, First, I, I just want to say I misspoke. Um, this movie came out in like 2009, 2010, so there's no way I could have seen it <laughs> years ago. It seemed a little, but not, but not much. In my defense, it takes place in 2008, so maybe okay. I, was think, yeah. I was thinking like 2000. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking eight years ago within the confines of the show's, not Timeline. the show's, the movie's narrative. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, so, but it it's still right yeah. but i'm interested in it as well like i mean i wanted i was really excited when i heard that they were making a television show out of this um just from a just from an idea perspective of mm-hmm. how this was going to be handled so i'm glad that people have been positive about it i'm glad that you're positive about it as well yeah well and and the lead is really good and i mean mm-hmm. I, i'm not familiar with Lodge kerrigan but amy simons is awesome so that's pretty well, exciting I mean, at, at, for something like this, based on how you're describing it, you need something slightly different from what Sasha Gray mm-hmm. brought to the movie, which was a very restrained mask-based performance, which really, really worked. Like, it wasn't intended for her to be dynamic. Mm-hmm. So it was a really good performance in that regard. It sounds um, like the friend character may be who... Like the kind of character that is based on in the film, from what you're saying, mm-hmm. someone who's been doing this a lot longer and is very like the mask thing that you're saying reminds yeah. me of of the main character in this, the friend that gets her into sex work. Okay, that's a possibility then. Yeah. Well, let's move on to our next show, which is The Americans, which again, I know Nolan, I don't watch, so I'm going to keep it quick. Clark's Place was another really good episode. They've had such a strong season um so far and uh i'm really looking forward to it the the response from oleg is pretty much what i was expecting um it seems like they're building towards oleg working with with stan uh in response to the the death of nina but um but the the highlight for me here is just the stuff with with Paige works really well and with martha is it just continues to be so strong and culminating everything as as the jennings basically just feel everything like the stuff with pastor tim and with all these things just kind of closing in on them and they're like you know what let's just have sex let's just let's have sex under pressure because queen is the best uh it was just a really great way to to end the season and to 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 highlight these characters all most of them feeling very alone feeling very uh just like martha's popping valium because she's having panic attacks and like just like it's just so intense super intense I'm loving this season. Uh, yeah, I don't, um, you know, just them reacting, Elizabeth and, and Philip reacting to meeting 
Stan's partner who they know is the person who took Martha out to dinner because she they, he suspects Martha of, of being a mole or something and just like and now Martha and him are connected but this guy has met Philip as Philip so Philip has to make sure that Martha doesn't have any photos of Clark anywhere where this guy could see it because he will make that like it's just getting so tangled and watching the characters realize all that and just like leave all of that tension unsaid. <laughs> it's so intense. It just, it just, I love the, the restraint that the show has and how that they can just, just kind of have a glance or like one line of dialogue and just be like, yep, this is really tough. This is really, ah, God. <laughs> then the dum bum bum dum bum comes underneath and it was awesome. So good. <laughs> it may be, it doesn't hurt that I love Queen guys. Um, but let's I've been talking a lot, so let's move on to our next episode. I feel like I feel like for me, elementary this week is gonna be a pretty short discussion. Um, all ins and all art imitates art are just pretty much for me all about meeting Joan's half sister. And I feel like the show kind of bungled that. As much as I'm yeah. glad that they in, they went back to Joan centric stuff, and as much as I'm glad as they they're going to her family, but stuff with her father that they've never done before. That's that's nice, but I I really don't think they stuck stuck the landing. How did you feel about this one? I felt really the same. Um, I felt like it was decidedly clunky mm-hmm. for a show that has otherwise been really subtle about doing this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So to have this woman from a previous crime who lo- claims that she has a connection to uh mycroft i was kind of weird mm-hmm. and also a little worrying because it was just like no we don't no we don't need mycroft no <laughs> don't bring him back you keep that away from us we're trying to pretend that mycroft and joan didn't sleep together don't remind us yeah or did but then yeah. just it's just so like it's just so clunky and i i want to go back to that word over and over again but like off air you mentioned why don't you just admit that you're my half sister and just went no that's, that's, no one talks like that because that's terrible <laughs> writing i would never yeah. speak like that and neither should you shame joan let's take that one again yeah i am glad that she has like a family and her the show remembers she has a family because anytime the show remembers joan has a personal life I'm kind of happy about that. Yeah, me too. Um, because they really quickly forget that she has friends. Is a person who <laughs> exists outside of Sherlock's yeah. sphere. Yeah. But I think the other thing that I'm running into is that um, this whole thing came up. I said it came up really suddenly, but the other problem with it is is that it's just coming up way too late in the season. Mm-hmm. It has, they they have three episodes left. Yeah. And we're going to get a, we're, we're going to get the half-sister thing now? Yeah. yeah. I just went, nah, that's, that's not, that's not something I was excited about. And the cases of the week weren't particularly interesting either, which didn't help matters because then I could have drowned my boredom in interesting cases and I didn't have that either <laughs> so it was just kind of a meh really kind of a meh two-parter yeah especially after them having done really good two-parters in the past uh this was disappointing and i'm basically comforting myself in the knowledge that episode 22 is directed by lucy Liu, and her episodes always look really fantastic 
Well, there we go. So, yeah. yeah. Um, let's move right. I don't have anything to add, so I think I think you pretty much nailed it. So let's move right on to Underground. Um, and we haven't checked in on this one in, in quite a while. Um, so I have two questions for you, Noel. Um, first of all, any thoughts on the uh, Jesse Smollett episode where uh, Mark Lucas gets beat? Because uh, I was that was my when I watched the first four. That's in episode four. I was curious how people would respond to that um and then i would love to know what you thought of the rest of it because we had the we had that episode then we had the episode the week after where they're not even in that family isn't even in the the episode and i did not miss them and then we had our most recent episode which kind of brought things a little more back to where the 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 balance had been with mostly following the making seven but just a little bit with the, the family running the, you know, the, the house on the, along the Underground Railroad. Um, just a little bit of them. So I'm curious which balance worked for you the best and how you felt about the Justice Smollett episode. I was not a fan of the people being held hostage in their own home. Um, it felt like it just kind of happened. I felt like I missed a beat and I may have missed a beat. Mm-hmm. In, and it's entirely possible because I will acknowledge I was doing something else at the start of that episode mm-hmm. and I had it on and I was just like, Oh wait, how did that, when did that happen? And why are we doing this? And, but it was basically just a long list of nobody's listening. And I hate when characters are in situations where nobody's listening so that we can do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't that interesting, but I mean, you also already know how I feel about Lucas yeah. and Degau. So it's just like, Oh, we're going to spend a lot of time with these two this week. Yay. Um, but the the rest of the stuff with the Macon 7 and the stuff on the plantation uh, was just really, really good this uh, for these over the course of these two episodes. Um, How about that fire? The fire was awesome, but yeah. I mean, also just... My God. First of all, Adina Porter does great work on The 100. Mm-hmm. We know that. Yeah, we know she's good. <laughs> But then just she's killing it in these two episodes um, in particular. And, well, in that one particular episode, because she wasn't in the second episode. Yep, yep. Um, but I kind of freaked out mm-hmm. <laughs> when, um, what's her name? Uh, Ernestine slid her wrists. <laughs> yep. And just went, oh, we're going we're gonna to do this. Great. <laughs> But no, it's really good. Uh, Reed Diamond's doing really, really great work. Um, the show, once it, once it's actually like carrying through with the escape, mm-hmm. just gained a shit ton of momentum. Yeah, like the placing of everything was nice, but it just it felt like kind of repetitive and circle running. But now, like they're having to move forward, literally move forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's just really, it's really compelling, really good pulpy type adventure stuff with still, but from a different perspective than what we've typically gotten with this kind of a narrative, which is why it's so compelling and why it's so interesting. Um, The Chris Maloney stuff is really good. um, And his dynamic with the kid is really interesting, I think. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot of like really interesting things happening with like the kid just being like, he wouldn't have died if you had helped him. And I just went, oh, oh, <laughs> type of thing. Um, but no, it was really great. Um, and I was also glad to see the show 
winnowing down the crew basically because that yeah. was going to be a lot of people to keep up with and to, it would have been too easy for lots of little things to keep happening to them mm-hmm. so narrowing them down to a set number was really really good yeah um just from like a character management perspective Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I'm really excited as we go into the back half of the season, basically, and to see what they're going to do as they go forward. Um, yeah, I'm really, really excited. How are you? And you're? Are you feeling really excited? Are you oh like, yeah, really pumped for this. Oh yeah, I'm wa- really, I'm really pumped for these last, this last back half. Yeah, no, I watched episode five and was like, why is it the day before episode six airs? Why can I not have it on my DVR now? Be faster. <laughs> Internet. And so then I went to rehearsal and I came back from a rehearsal. I was like, is it on my DVR? It should be, it should be on my DVR. <laughs> um, and watched it as soon as I could. I, I think it's very compelling and they're doing such a great job. Um, the, the, I, I keep going back to the combination of score and, and period music and modern music and the way that they're doing all that is working, combining all that works so well. Um, I think the, the, I did not see Pearly May coming, Ernestine, who, I should say. Who, how could you have seen that? Yeah, uh, that was intense. And um, where that's taking Ernestine should be really compelling. Um, her her drowning her sorrows, I think, uh, is gives a completely different dynamic to play. And I look forward to seeing how that goes. Naming the kid Samuel uh, when he already has a son named Samuel is uh, another nice little touch there and i like that they find opportunities to make sure the various characters surprise you so just when you're thinking you can trust kato shot in the leg to yeah. his his partner just when you think you can write off the uh Reed diamonds like the plantation owner's wife um not only do we find out that she and pearly may basically grew up together um the much the way that uh the the young two young boys on the plantation have, but that, uh, you know, but just as, as you write her off, you find out the stuff about her backstory and that she immediately knows the right way to put pressure on Pearly May, that she's much smarter than maybe we would give her credit for. Um, yeah. So I, I just, again, they continue to surprise me with their characters um, in every way except for the predictable and stupid thing with Chris Maloney and the sex worker, which I was just like, and is the kid going to see them? Of course the kid's going to. I mean, come Come on, guys. That was a little underwhelming. But otherwise, I, I really have been enjoying the whole uh, the whole season, and they've done such a good job in these last few episodes. I'm very I'm very pumped for the end of the back back part of the season. Me too. I'm really excited, and hopefully, I'll not let it build up on the DVR again. Yeah, yeah. I don't want that to happen, but it may happen. <laughs> well, speaking of building up, uh, I know that you marathoned a bunch of the path this week, so we could talk about it. And, and thank you. I, I look forward to hearing what you think. So, I for me, my reviews up at the AV Club. And it's very good. You should go read it, especially her notes on the music, oh, of course. thank you. I appreciate You're that. You're welcome. But for me, this episode, just all the problems I had with the previous episode, all the things that made me go, show, I'm not, I'm a little concerned about this. They resolved all of them. And it was like, I seriously, I was, my notes were just like, exactly. This is what I was on the podcast, in the review last. So, but it was a very entertaining experience for me in that, just from that context. I'm curious how you felt about the previous episodes and if you had such a strong reaction to this one then, or if you were more like in the, in the middle on both of them, like most of the commenters over the AV club seem to be. Uh, no. Well, I think it's a kind of important that to say that at least based on what the fire throws, 
I was kind of involved and interested in the show enough that mm -hmm. I was willing to let the show like work out problems. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, okay, this is fine. I can deal with this. So watching these three as like a unit probably helped me a lot in my reception of things. Okay. Um, to the point where it's just like, I could see where you were having problems, but I was also just like, well, it's okay. Cause I'm about to start the next one right now. <laughs> um, so we'll see what happens. Um, but so just to like, I was good with everything going forward. And even with like your concerns about, how uh cows play for power is just like it's just like every other play for power type of thing and i really wasn't seeing that necessarily if only because of the setting and because of that to me cal wants power but he also sees what myris the movement can do and it's not oh i can see what england can do for the world mm -hmm. it's just I can see the good that Cal thinks that the cult can do. Okay. And I think that that's a different enough twist on that play for power, even though it's so, so totally still a play for power. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as you said in your review, it's uh, with the future, it's just like, oh, hey, there's this faction that doesn't like you at all. <laughs> and they want you out. <laughs> And that just immediately provided more stakes and something for him to push against that wasn't also that wasn't Sarah. Yeah, because pushing against, Sarah pushing against him with like the juice. Mm -hmm. I love that they say the juice, <laughs> especially coming out of American Crime Story. Uh, yes, exactly. We're not talking about the other juice that was so prominent this season. <laughs> um, that pushing against her while she's like a legacy. Mm -hmm. member basically because she's been there since childhood um she can't she doesn't have the influence in the clout to really do anything mm -hmm. even though she's an r7 yeah she's still just an r7 no she's an r8 she's, she's an r8 she's a, yes 8r yeah 8r or? 8r yeah 8R. okay yeah so she's an 8r and so she can't really do anything but i mean she's she has standing within the community which is interesting and can make things complicated and i'm really excited about that um but i'm excited just to i'm excited about cal being like no no it's okay eddie i'll be your guide <laughs> so i can find out what the f you know i'm just like ah. and i'm excited about them having more scenes together how amazing is it when they're together right it's like next level for the show it's so next level and like like i said with the premiere i was just like it's a charisma neutron bomb mm -hmm. and it's just there's too much between the two of them and they're both like i think they're both really good with michelle monaghan in, yes, in they very are. different ways. Yes, and that's the 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 and the whole cast. I think for the most part is is working really well. Like the stuff with the teens. I don't know, but I'd love your thoughts. The teens are working way better than they should, as far as I'm. Yes, concerned. like the hawk stuff. With, yeah, what's her name? Ashley. Ashley. Yeah, yeah, is way better than it should reasonably be. But yeah. I chalk a lot of this up to like Katniss <laughs> knowing how to write good teenagers. Well, yes, that 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 helps. Yes. That helps. That helps. <laughs> so so they they've established all these really good dynamics with their central trio, but yeah. the one that by far is the most potent right now is is 
uh, Cal and Eddie that because of the layer, because they have, they, at first it seems like they're just playing the, the old, oh, well, we were love rivals with Sarah back in the day and we were friends. And so there's drama. At first they're just playing that. And that's just, it's, it's some level of interesting, but it's not that interesting really. Right. Cause we've seen that story a lot of times, many times, all of the times, but, um, what they do here instead is they, like, it really reminded me that he's been gone for three years. So they've had three years of growing in very different directions. And what is implied to me is that the stuff with Alison Kemp and her husband, you know, committing suicide, she doesn't believe it. Um, that feels like that's recent and that yeah. could easily be within those three years. So maybe all of these, this like more negative stuff with, Meyerism is really only coming to the fore with Cal because Cal seems like the, he's the one who's interested in growing the movement and expanding and getting reaching more people and all of that stuff. So who over, over the past three years, it seemed, I would guess, this is just supposition, that that's when Steve started getting more sick and that's when Cal started taking over and that's when these problems are starting to arise and that is where Cal has really started changing as a person. Um, and, and wanting more of this power. And didn't they mention the last time he had seen his mother was like two years ago? Yeah, it was about two years. I, yeah. Maybe even been three, but also, God, how good was Kathleen Turner? Seriously, right? They were really um, good together too. Yeah, but seriously good. Yeah, so, so this idea that the last time that Cal and Eddie really saw each other, they were really good friends. But Cal has changed a lot since then. His dad died. He fell off the wagon, got back on the wagon. Uh, Steve, his surrogate father, um, got really sick. And now he's, and, and while all this is happening, he's ch- wanting more control. He's abusing Mary horribly. And, and all of this tension is happening. So it's just a much, much, much more interesting dynamic than what we were introduced to previously. And I, there's so much potential for the, the Sarah and Cal and Eddie dynamic to go in all these very different di- directions um, that... I just, I really am excited about where it could be headed. Right. And another place that it's heading, and you mentioned this in your review and it's worth highlighting, is uh, Gaines' um, infiltration of the cult. Yeah. And how that, we got an insight into his personal life. Yeah. Overdue. And significantly overdue. And, but also the fact that it provides us a way, and which is something you had discussed of us learning about Meyerism without people talking about it as people who have been seeped in it for a number of years, Mm -hmm. which is important because I mean, we're getting like, we're just getting hints of Meyerism and how it works. I mean, they've got the boxes with the electrodes, Mm -hmm. which is so Scientology. (laughs) (laughs) Super Scientology. Yeah. And the juice and the rooms and we're getting all this stuff, but we're not getting like, and the rungs and all this and all of it, but we're not getting like how it all works together, Mm -hmm. which I mean, is it's one thing if the show is committed to wanting that stuff to just be shadowy, but it's so ingrained with everyone's motivations that it can't be shadowy we need an explanation we need an idea of how all of this works beyond just enlightenment through the light basically Mm -hmm. and i think that and you mentioned this as well i 
fairly certain that Gaines provides a way for us to get all that information. Like, he was looking at the book mm-hmm. and with his wife and going like, why the hell is there this giant weird rat thing? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah. Well, and what I appreciate about that scene is that it, if you look in the Old Testament of the Bible, there's some really, or in some of the, you know, the the, the um, apocryphal texts or in the, um, the uh, what is it, the visions of the future, right, that we get in, in the, the Bible, there's some messed up monsters there too. Uh, it just, that just felt really natural. And it, like, it just felt specific enough to be like, no, 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 there's some weird shit with Myerism too, but there is with a lot of religions. And it's, it's of a piece with these other religions. I, having just a few scenes with characters that aren't in the movement and that, you know, where the, and just a few scenes where the characters aren't being observed by members in the movement, I think was essential to this episode. So we get that scene with Abe and his wife. They're not being observed. He can actually have an honest reaction to what he's hearing because he's not trying to infiltrate anything in that moment. And the same thing for, is true for me with um, Eddie at the hospital when he just has that little reaction of it's not a cult because nobody's seeing him say that. So that means that I can actually trust what he's saying is what he believes. Right. But I mean, we're also getting even like, even with him being, even with Gaines being observed when he's in the cult, he's having reactions to this. I mean, mm-hmm. what he's hearing is influencing him. What he learns about Mary, which is information he didn't have. I'm so glad that, that they got that out of the way so quickly. Yes. Yes. No, it was great. And I mean, it changes why he's doing this. But at the same time, it means that he now has a reason to get drawn deeper into it beyond mm-hmm. saving Mary because his her abusive method dad yeah. is really upset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because he can't abuse his daughter anymore. <laughs> well and, and he's his spider spider senses are tingling about yeah. about the movement and he wants so that's not enough reason for him to say, Oh well never mind I guess. Um, yeah. she's like, okay, well, I'm not sending her back to her father. She maybe should be sent somewhere else, but I'm not sending her back to her father, but there's still something else here. Let's keep digging. Yeah. And maybe that'll end with him ascending the ladder, but who knows? I love that there actually are scars on Felicia's hands and who knows what she actually experienced when she was, they were all high off their heads in ayahuasca. But, uh, I do, I do like that there's a tangible thing and I believe I don't believe that she burned her hands on a glowing ladder, though. If they want to, like, actually say all this stuff is true, that would be super crazy and awesome and bonkers, and I yeah. would go for it. Um, but I think that she believes it's true. I yeah. think that, that and that's is, what matters. Yeah, that's what matters. Yeah. No, any story about faith, especially, like, in this sense, so long as they think it's true, that's all that matters yeah. for me. Well, and the previous episodes hadn't believed me, hadn't convinced me that Eddie believed it was true at all. And hadn't convinced me um, that Cal believed it was true. I was pretty sure Sarah did, but um, but I like every time I saw Eddie talk, I'm like, Aaron Paul, if you're supposed to be convincing me that you actually do believe this, you're not, you you aren't, because um, I don't know how you feel. I don't know if you're just saying what you think everybody needs to hear so that you can stay with your wife, or if you do actually truly believe this. So the, I, having that just that little bit of dialogue in the hospital for me was really telling, and then. What this episode also convinced me was for Cal, sure, maybe he believes this stuff, but maybe he doesn't. And he doesn't really care because this is, it's not about that to, to him. 
yes, it helped him and it did and it can help others. And maybe he wants to believe that that's why he's doing this, but I don't think it is at all. And that, and having that clarity of what, what he, what I think that he thinks, I actually have something that I think that he thinks now and I didn't before. And that for me makes all the difference with that character. And all you needed really, and I think this was in the second episode, and I know that you mentioned in your review, I went back and read your reviews after I watched each episode, um, was him listening to the motivational tapes and practicing faces in the mirror while he was driving, which, as you noted, was an incredibly funny little moment. Yeah. But just a deeply telling moment about how hard he's trying Mm -hmm. to be this thing. Yeah. That's got to be exhausting. Yeah. Anyways, any final thoughts on the past? We talked about it a lot, but no, but we needed to because we hadn't really, we hadn't had a discussion about it. That's true, and I wasn't allowing you to like talk in depth about it <laughs> because I wanted to watch the watch the show. <laughs> Are you more on board than I know you were? Sort of like oh, I don't know before. No, I'm like fully in. I think I was pretty much in after home uh, homecoming, mm-hmm. um, but after the future, especially, I'm very much in, and I'm very excited to watch the rest of this. Fair enough. Well, what wins your week in drama? Um, I'll give it to The Path this week mm-hmm. um, with uh, Underground like a very close second because I really enjoyed Troubled Water a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but the future was just really, really great. Yeah. And what about you? Uh, well, I'm going to give it to the, the, the Americans Award goes to the Americans. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, after that, yeah, the, the, the Path and Underground both were really good this week. So I guess I'll give it to The Path with an honorable mention to Underground, but Underground was super fun. So it was a good weekend drama for me. How often do you get to say a show about runaway slaves was super fun? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, a few show notes here at the end. Of the- you can find a post for this episode up at the website for the podcast, thetelliverse.org, where you can leave a comment and you know, start up a conversation. Let us know what you thought about the week's TV. You can email us, thetelliverse at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, uh, where you can like the page, and again, start up a conversation there. Or you can find us in iTunes, where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed, and we would appreciate any ratings or reviews that you give us over at iTunes. It helps other people find the podcast. And you can find us both on Twitter, Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are at Noel RK. And you can find my writing, uh, my reviews of the path, up at the AV Club. And Noel, we can find your writing over at uh, TV.com. I've got all the Arrowverse shows and The Good Wife for the last remaining of its run. <laughs> last remaining episodes. It will be hopefully the departed. It'll take a, me a little bit, but it will. It'll it'll get back to dearly departed eventually. I yeah. think. Yeah. Well, uh, that wraps up our week in TV. So now we'll take a break and come back with David Bax of Battleship Retention and Hey, Watch This to talk about Band of Brothers. We'll be right back after this. What made you decide to join the paratroopers? I wanted to fight with the best, sir. This is Easy Company, the finest company in this regiment.
and found in one another a bond among brothers. I'm proud to have served with each and every one of you. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week on the DVD shelf, we're doing one of only, I think, a handful of... Maybe this is our first. I don't know if you can remember off the top of your head, Noel. I know that I can't. Um, I th- we have done very many miniseries here uh, on the DVD shelf. We did Forget, which was incredibly traumatizing. There's two of those, but I don't know if those kinds of miniseries are more movies, uh, traumatizing, traumatizing movies by Lars von Trier. Um, <laughs> but this week we're yeah, doing... Yeah, those count as traumatizing movies. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, that's what friend of the show, Steve Procopi, loves to do that. He loves to traumatize me. Hopefully he'll be back on soon to do it once again. But he's not our guest this week. Our guest this week is from Battleship Retention. Hey, watch this. And uh, and no longer, unfortunately, Promises Were Mates are an amazing race podcast. But that's Mr. David Bax. Welcome back to the podcast, David. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for having me. A couple things. Did you guys do State of Play? No. You did not do State of Play? I could have sworn you did a DVD shelf on, on State of Play. I was trying to think of a... No, I have not seen mini-series it. ...miniseries you might have done. You mean the original oh, you, or the it, remake? The remake is a movie, though, right? Um, yeah, the remake is a movie and, and should be avoided at all costs. But the original <laughs> is uh, uh, quite an achievement and definitely worth watching. Um, yeah, that Amazing Race podcast, I think... It's not going to happen mostly because Amazing Race airs on Fridays, and I think my wife and I would be like, it it would take us 48 hours to actually get to a place where we had an hour to do a podcast, and then, Mm -hmm. I don't know, the world moves on from those kind of podcasts, you know? Fair enough. Well, the world moves on from many things, uh, because this is my clever segue, including for a time, The Greatest Generation. This week we're talking about Band of Brothers, and this came out in 2001 as like sort of like the part of the wave of post-Saving uh, Private Ryan sort of World War II uh, projects. And this was spearheaded, of course, by Tom Hanks um, and Steven Spielberg, and that was a big part of that. It was something they were very passionate about. But it's, it's kind of odd to think about the time that this story hadn't necessarily been told in this way and not only that but stories weren't told in this way on television really so it was very interesting for me to go back and watch some of this because I had not seen it for a long time would you agree with that assessment David and um what what made you want to talk about Band of Brothers uh as far as what made me want to talk about it is just that I I love it and last time I was on we said what are we going to do next uh the (laughs) thing that I love that you hadn't done yet uh, was Band of Brothers, but I uh, I have the DVDs. I, I tend to watch them every year or two. It's been maybe almost two years since I've since I've watched the the whole series. Uh, but I always do get um, I, I I find myself really sucked up into it, and I find it being something that I can watch. You know, there are certain movies that are so good. Like Goodfellas is two and a half hours long, but it feels like you can watch it in forty five minutes, right? Because it's so good <laughs> that it just like flies by. I'm pretty sure Die Hard is twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of feel like that about Banner Brothers. Like every time I start it, I'm like, I know it's ten hours, but it's. I'm like, I can watch this, and then you know, I'll split this up between tonight and tomorrow night, and it usually ends up taking me a little longer. But um, it is something that I, for something that's ten hours long, it's something that I can rewatch very casually. Um, but as far as uh, stories that hadn't been told that way, I mean, uh, or these kind of stories hadn't been told that way. Uh, uh, I think you're you're right. Um, 
Banner Brothers coming out in 2001 and um, and being on HBO, it, it does sort of exist. It, it doesn't get talked about as this because it's a miniseries, not a series, but it does sort of exist at the same time and network as the golden age of television, quote-unquote, was um was was beginning with you know sopranos being on its second season i guess um at, at that time and television being this very uh the beginnings of what become a very um daring uh medium full of possibilities uh and yes at the same time there was the renewed interest in World War Two stories, but I've I've gone far afield from your initial question. <laughs> but um, there's a reason to tell this story. It's, it's a true story. Um, and Stephen A. Ambrose wrote the book. And if you are into you know um, American history and war history, especially you you know his name. He's written a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, the story of Easy Company. It really is. It's amazing that this one company that by telling the story of one company, you can tell all of the war from the D-Day invasion to the end, as far as the European theater, that these, yeah. th- these guys, the, the fact that they were out there, some of them the whole time, you know, there were replacements and injuries and people died and, you know, and that sort of thing. But the company was out there, never really got a break from D-Day until the end of the war. It's a, it's pretty astounding that it happened and that, um, uh, you can tell so much of the World War II European theater story um, through this one uh, lens and not really have to fudge too much. I mean, they do. There are composite characters and and some speculations and stuff uh, in 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 the series, but uh, it's a it's a pretty handy and engrossing way to tell um, a, a big chunk of the World War II story. Now, David, obviously. This is the show you want to talk about. You you watch it sort of as maybe as comfort TV or just like when it's been too long. Uh, I really enjoyed it when I first saw it. I didn't have HBO or cable even uh, when this was on TV. Uh, so I came to it later but really, really embraced it and was very compelled by it. Noel, you don't like war movies. Not your thing. No, not really my thing. Ha- had no. you seen any Band of Brothers previous and... It's a three-part question. Had you seen Band of Brothers previous to this? Part one. Part two, uh, were you affected at all by the hype of this, considered by some, I'm one of them, as one of the greatest or best miniseries ever made? And three, even if you did like it at a technical level, I don't know how you would feel about that, but was it able to overcome your lack of affinity for the genre or is it just one of those not my thing? Sure. Uh, so in order, I guess, uh, one is, uh, no, I hadn't seen any of this prior to basically, uh, when you told me to watch it and, you know, be ready to discuss it. So I did my homework. Um, so, right. So no, I hadn't seen anything prior to this. Um, the hype didn't really factor into it. Um, I think I was distanced enough from it that I was okay. I mean, it's been 15 years since it came out, almost. And so the hype around it, I think, had kind of died down enough uh, for me to just kind of go in with it open. But also knowing, like, basically that Saving Private Ryan had been basic a uh, prototype of sorts for the aesthetics and for the approach that... Uh, Hanks and Spielberg and uh, the rest wanted to take with uh, the material. So I knew what to expect in that 
sort of a sense. So I think that probably any hype that I had in the back of my mind was probably tempered, but also grounded in the fact that I knew its connection to Saving, Saving Private Ryan. And as for the genre um, baggage, I will say that it wasn't until basically Crossroads um, that I started getting into the series in okay. a real way. And then, uh, so basically the last uh, six episodes, um, I was pretty silently into um, baggage aside uh, with it. Um, but yeah, I it was... It's basically one of those things where I wasn't able to get, like, really, really, like, invested in it, though. I think the closest I basically came was, um, uh, ding, 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 ding. Yeah, Bastogne, uh, that focuses on, uh, Doc Rowe, um, was probably the one that I think got to me the most overall. Um, aside from why we fight for obvious reasons, and we can get into that. And so, right, so I think that's the only thing I'll, I can say is that while I was mostly operating on a distance level of being able to appreciate the aesthetics and how deftly they were um, putting together composite characters and telling the story, as David said, um, really well throughout the entire part of the war, because by, like, episode eight, I was basically wondering, well, are they going to find a camp? Did they find a camp? How can and in the back of my mind, snarkily, I was just like, can Spielberg do a World War II movie without a mention of a camp? And I was just and so I was waiting for that to come in, and I had no idea. I didn't know that Easy Company had found a camp, basically. And David's point about this uh, story being able to basically tell the story of the European theater as remarkably as it did was really, really impressive. So from a technical and aesthetic level, I mean, there's no lack of appreciation from my end about uh, Band Brothers. Absolutely not. I was going to guess when you're saying there was a there was a kind of turning point episode for you. Immediately, immediately I went to Bestone because as much as I'm in the bag for this whole series, I think it's fantastic. Um, and we'll get into like, wouldn't it be nice if there were women wouldn't it be nice if but that's not this story <laughs> if there were people of color if there were you know but this is a very specific story and through the specifics of it they get at larger universal elements about you know experiences of soldiers uh in in the you know european theater but even being in the back for this whole series really appreciating it the episode i always immediately think of is best own i for me it's the standout of the whole yeah. series that episode does have a prominent female character in it. Yes. yes the yeah. the nurse. So, the nurse. Yeah. I guess yes. that's the exception to the rule. <laughs> yeah. What about uh, you, David? Is there, you know, were there certain episodes? Um, that, like, if when you were visiting this, is this, is like Bestone one for you where you're like, oh, yes, they're going to get to this one? Or is it like, oh, they're about to go through hell and it's going to be terrible and exploding trees? And yeah, Bestone is a terrifying episode like i i mean i know that it's really well made but um it's not my favorite to get to i know i have to get through it but um <laughs> it is a bit upsetting i think the one i always think of first and it's because i'll tell you i also didn't have cable when it first aired i saw it piecemeal at first and then watched it all um when it came out on dvd and then um bought it in perfect condition in the special edition tin can box yeah. at a yard sale for seven dollars. Oh, wow. good deal! Well clearly, done. I, I'm, I'm clearly. This is what I take from this: is this woman was getting rid of some ex-boyfriend shit because I, <laughs> like, she, she had ten dollars written on the thing, 
and I was like, well, it must be missing a disc or something. I looked for it. It was all perfect. And I, I hadn't planned on going to the yard. So I was just walking down the street and I had $7 cash in my pocket. And I went up to her and I was like, uh, will you take seven? She was like, sure. <laughs> uh, she clearly didn't care about this at all. Um, and that's the one I've watched over and over again. But so what I'm saying is I watched it piecemeal when I could, you know, uh, at a hotel room and friends, whatever. Um, and so the first one that I ever saw was Carantan, the third one, which I think is, if you go in thinking of Saving Private Ryan and thinking about the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan and how intense that is, Carantan is kind of what you're probably assuming Band of Brothers is going to be. Carantan is the first one that is war, like, pretty much the whole way through, right? Like, that's the first intense action episode. Mm-hmm. Um, would you guys agree? Well, there's there's that extended set piece in Days of Days where they're taking out the encampments, but um, from a sheer episode level, yeah, probably. Yeah, and, and so um, that was the one that, that hooked me, and then so when I went back and watched it on, on DVD, I um, was so surprised and pleasantly so by Kurahi, the first episode, which um, has no, you know, battles in it at all and is um, one of the longest episodes. It's, it one's over an hour, I think. Um, and just getting into the the characters and um, also the idea that you could have a major star like David Schwimmer um, <laughs> and have him essentially disappear after one episode. Uh, it it hooked me in a different way than watching Carantan Head. So I think I think of episodes one and three as two different like versions that are both the same series. But I'm I'm not sure which one I would count as a favorite or if any of them are are a favorite. What's really interesting to me um, is to look back at reviews of Band of Brothers from when it came out, because. For me, it's incredibly accessible. That first episode, it drops you right in with the characters. You get a sense of from like the, the just the fact that Damian Lewis and Ron Livingston are just kind of off by themselves. That these are two of the significant characters. You get the sense that Schwimmer's obviously a main character right away. Um, but it just drops you in with these men and trusts you to figure it out. And for viewers now, I think that is absolutely fine. I think that's people are used to doing that. They're used to large ensemble mm-hmm. casts. They're used to. I mean, this we're talking about this the week after American Crime Story finished. This show is not dissimilar in its approach to the the structure of you know following significant events of the progression of a story, but focusing on certain characters more on various t- points in that. Um, it's not dissimilar to the approach for American Crime Story, but this is 15 years ago. And so when you read reviews from when this came out, it's apparently like the first two episodes screened ahead of time for critics. And people are like, mm, it's a little confusing. I don't really know. Who am I supposed to be following? It, people had a lot harder time with this at, mm. you know, in 2001 in, in, in such a way that it's just it's very strange to me to think about it in that context because uh, for me it was right. it's super accessible i don't know noel did you what did you think of that coming to this for the first time now it was mostly okay um i think pretty quickly i gave up on oh knowing characters names and just focusing on like faces and voices to help me identify folks mm-hmm. um just to help me keep them straight and i think the show um does a fairly good job of making sure that you're able to at least tell people by personalities, especially. Um, so you've got the guy that does impressions and who's terrific. So you're able to like pick out 
characters, even if you don't know their names. So I wasn't too concerned about having to keep track of other having to keep track of like names or anything and keep track of characters. But I think the other thing that I approached it with was the fact that as a war film, war film, as a war series and a war narrative, that learning names and that's that aspect of things were, they could die. Mm-hmm. So it would be easier if I just, for my own sake, picked up on names if they just kept showing up more often <laughs> and so if i like by 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 crossroads and bastone i'm like having people's names and then of course like two of them just disappear after crossroad uh after bastone i'm just like damn it i just learned your name gonorrhea <laughs> i just learned it <laughs> um but i think your point about that kind of a reception of who and why and people going well i'm 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 confused by all of this and i mean it's just like the television landscape was kind of different i mean we were still watching broadcast uh who wants to be a millionaire was on like three nights a week (laughs) in 2000 2001 so and i mean these large ensembles casts just weren't happening just yet i mean 2000 2001 2002 things were changing but uh, things had changed by that point but it was just big drama ensemble casts weren't happening yet and i think that's a fair i think that's a fair assessment again to your point kate that we've changed and matured enough as an audience to be able to go right but at the same time i also feel like that that's spielberg and hanks's cinematic sensibilities coming to play mm-hmm. and going oh well we've got 10 hours and we're just used to people latching on to characters in a movie movie setting not necessarily in a tv setting they'll be fine they can figure it out and i think that part also extends to the idea that this is on hbo and remember hbo is not tv it's hbo <laughs> of to not not to endorse their not to endorse their discourse, but to endorse what they think that their discourse and branding creates. And I think that's where they were coming from with it. David, you were about to say something. So, well, I, I don't want to sound like I'm agreeing with uh, the people who had reservations about the show, but I will say it does have some of the problem that a lot of I think war stories have. Um, it, war ensemble. Um, <laughs> that's the Slayer song. Um, but war <laughs> um, war movies and TV shows have where. Essentially, you've got guys who are all wearing the same outfit and all have the same haircut. And in this case, they're also all white, except for Kirk Acevedo. So I, I do kind of understand that sometimes it certain people can get can get lost on your first viewing. But I also think one of the things that um, is impressive to me about Band of Brothers is that it's it's a it's a true ensemble in the I think the truest sense of the word in that. Uh, and this is going to sound like a stupid, like gimmicky thing to say, but there's no main character. The main character is Easy Company, so it's it's kind of okay that you don't you don't have to pick out all yeah. the different personalities um, because you're not watching the story of of any one person. And I think that's uh, to to address Kate your point about um, what audiences were used to at the time. I think. If, at that point, um, in in television, 
audiences were not used to that, not used to having characters that disappear for episodes at a time. You know, um, there's the, what's his name? The poor man's Paul Rudd actor who misses Bastone because he was, uh, what's that? No, I was just like, he was a poor, I thought it was Paul Rudd. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Initially. Um, Like he he misses a, a bunch of, yeah, he misses a bunch of episodes and then, and then comes back. And I think, um, that sort of thing. This is before, obviously, the wire sidelined its um, uh, nominal lead for an entire season. Essentially, um, I think that's the thing that people maybe weren't used to: the idea of this being um, more of a mosaic type of storytelling than um, just having one uh, or two protagonists. You mentioned the wire. The wire started, I want to say, the year after this. So that idea of Easy Company is the main character. I mean, that's basically the same kind of storytelling we're going to get where Baltimore is the sure, main yeah. character. Um, and, and that ensemble, amorphous, you know, kind of shifting cast, it just it works so well for this story because not only, like to what you were saying earlier, Noel, they you don't necessarily want to learn everybody's name and certainly you don't want to learn right. the newbies names because they're most likely to get themselves killed. Um, yeah. But as certain characters, although uh, the newbies are played by some of the highest uh, now highest profile actors. Oh, we're gonna get or, there. Or late night talk show hosts. Yeah, yeah. don't worry. Yeah, we're we're gonna get there. But um, the the as as people get killed or injured or or you know are able to get to go home, um, not their their positions. The people who are still there, their positions within the company shift, and they people sort of take on other roles. So they may all of a sudden the funny guy, if the funny guy leaves now, new person gets to be the funny guy in the, in the, in the group. And that, that feels right uh, as, as people shift to become what they need to be and what the group needs them to be to, to get through this. So I think that just, it really, not only is this the kind of storytelling we're comfortable with now, but I think it's incredibly suited to this story. And I'm glad that, you know, the, 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 the writers were able to, to take this approach and HBO was just so willing to go with it because they have all these big shiny names behind it. Um, and unless you guys have some more thoughts on that, I think that's a good opportunity to shift into big shiny names because it's not that all of the people are in this. It's that everyone who's in this, we now know. (laughs) (laughs) Simon Pegg shows up for like two scenes, right? Yeah. Yeah, and Michael Fassbender's barely in it, and yeah. Tom Hardy's in there. Yeah. Um, James McAvoy. So we had Magneto and Charles Xavier in the same show before they were, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then Jimmy Fallon. Okay, can we just talk <laughs> about how my brain kind of exploded a little bit when I was just like, wait, I know that voice. Why do I know that voice? And then they did a close-up, and I'm just like, that's Jimmy fucking Fallon. <laughs> and it was kind of like that experience where, again, going back to this idea of World War II narrative suddenly being back in vogue, where the thin red line had everyone and their brother in it to just shock me out of the narrative to be like, oh, hey, it's that one famous person that I know who has no business being in this movie, but they're here because they wanted to work with, uh, what's his name, Malik. And it's just like, and it's just like, okay, all right, yeah, we're gonna we're going to have this cameo. All right, we're going to do this. So, yeah. <laughs> and then Colin Hanks showing up. 
the movie shot or this the series shot in England, and that's why you've got every every right. you know young male actor who would go on uh, to fame who is English uh, has has a small part in it. Yeah. Well, this is how I was introduced to Damian Lewis. I saw him in this, and yeah. then I saw him. I might have seen the first season of Life before this, maybe. But then he did a movie called Keen. You should check out. That sounds familiar. But yeah, but this is this was basically my first introduction to Damien Lewis, such that when he showed up on Homeland, I was like, "Oh, awesome! It's Winters. I mean, it's Charlie from Life. It's that guy who's a good <laughs> actor. I'm looking forward to him actually getting more stuff to do." Um, and I mean, talking about American Crime Story, it's been it's fun to contrast Schwimmer in this with, of course, Schwimmer in that because I feel like both times when when he shows up and does dramatic work. He's really good, and people, I think, forget that because we just default to, like, not liking Ross Geller. Geller. And it's not Schwimmer's fault that we don't like Ross Geller. (laughs) Robert Kardashian and Herbert Sobel, like, in many ways, couldn't be more different. Could not be more (laughs) different. Or at least the the versions of them in the show. Like, I feel like the Robert Kardashian on American Crime Story is someone that you want to be on his side. He's, like, such a decent person. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Herbert Sobel is a guy who is terrified that people are going to find out he's a fraud and he treats people like shit because of it. Mm-hmm. No, it's, I think I think it's a really good performance. I remember at the time people being like, oh, Schwimmer thinks he can be a dramatic actor. And yeah, he's an actor, guys. He's good in this. <laughs> Did you guys have any particular favorites or standouts among the cast or favorite maybe uh, like smaller characters? Like Michael Cudlitz is in this. Really appreciate him. Yeah. And also Neil McDonough, who um, yeah. is better known now that I knew he was an actor at that time that I felt like I was one of the small handful of people who knew who he was and knew that he was great uh, because of uh, Ravenous, one of my uh-huh. favorite movies of all time. Um, so he always he always stuck out uh, out to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of Kirk Acevedo as well. Yeah, definitely. Noel, did any others stick out for you? Uh, well, I mean, Neil McDonough obviously um, stuck out quite a bit um which was really great um but uh, ron livingston i mean he's in it quite a bit but i he's just really good in this and it's a night it's along the lines of the um david schwimmer type of turn where you go oh right the guy from friends thinks he can be serious and then you're just like oh right the the guy from office space is in a war movie there's there's not gonna be anything weird about this and he's really great especially in that ninth episode which um uh, uh with uh, why we fight i mean just the sh- i mean that episode in and of itself is incredibly intense but the undercurrent of uh just like alcoholism that's coming through and that the episode isn't overplaying and he's not overplaying as he's coping with all the war ending and this, all that stuff that's building up as uh, Nixon, it's just re- it's a really subtle performance, both that's done by Livingston and also that's on the page for him to do. And I think he's a real standout of the folks that show up quite a bit in the show. Yeah, I always enjoy Livingston when he shows up. He's another one of those guys that I feel like it's easy to underestimate. Um, yeah, yeah, and as fun as it is to watch Neil McDonough's transition into the part of his career where people just have him play Robert Quarles uh, who I loved on Justified and I enjoy him being Robert Quarles. He's the reason I stopped watching Justified by the way. <laughs> agree to disagree sir. But maybe we can agree I also really like him on Boomtown if you've seen that. Yes. 
yeah. uh, underappreciated gem that we'll hopefully do at one point on the DVD shelf. And um, it, it, it's nice to see him in different kinds of roles because I feel like he's one of those people that more is just people seem to recently be bringing him on to play that same kind of psycho character. And it's nice to see him get a different kind of character to play here. Well, we have already gone long, uh, and uh, I know that I could talk about particular episodes, particular moments, um, yeah. quite a while longer, but I don't want this to turn too much into the Chris Farley show more than it already has. So I will throw <laughs> it to you guys for final thoughts on on Band of Brothers. And uh, for you, Noel, uh, if, if you, how much you would recommend this to others, um, or David and I overhyping it. So, so David, go ahead and hype it to this type of long form storytelling um that's why it you know worked as a nonfiction uh book um which if you guys haven't read you should totally read it's it's fantastic um and that's why it works as a miniseries because you get to see this um amorphous group uh, to use the word that kate used earlier um and and you get to see it progress easy company progress as as a character, you've got your your arc, character arc, right there in the company. But you've also got individual character arcs, um, and, and you guys talked about um, uh, uh, Livingston's uh, character um, and how he um, grew into his role over time. And uh, we didn't, we haven't mentioned Donnie Wahlberg yet, who I think is fantastic in this. Yeah. Um, and he has an episode. I think it's is it the Breaking Point? Is that the one that's the Donnie Wahlberg episode? Um, yes. where you, you see him sort of come into his own. And so you it's basically you get to see characters sort of like it's sort of like the moment in Saving Private Ryan where you find out that Tom Hanks character, who's this uh, very accomplished leader and soldier, is a school teacher or whatever. I can't remember now. It's been forever uh, back home. Um, in the same way, you get to see that moment played out over 10 hours where you get to see people find their place find their natural place in this very unnatural situation of of war uh and uh i think it's it's a it's a it's 10 hours it doesn't feel like 10 hours but even so is well worth uh the investment for the return okay no over to you <laughs> no i'd concur with uh, david's point uh, about a great deal of this and would only add that i i don't think it to Kate's point about uh, me thinking that or worried about being overhyped, I guess, is that that's not the case with uh, Band Brothers and that the sh- that the series itself is remarkably well realized and uh, depicted. And this idea of Easy Company as the main character, I think, is a really essential point to understanding the show and appreciating the show. As to whether or not, like, my sense of, like, recommending it to other people who haven't seen it, I would certainly do that if they had an interest in this type of a narrative. Um, I don't know that it would be my immediate go-to to, for someone to be, like, recommend or be like, oh, man, I don't know what I want to watch right now. And I, I, I don't think my immediate answer would be, how about a 10-hour World War II doc, uh, 10-hour World War II miniseries? How, do, how does that sound for you on a weekend? I don't think that's where my mind would immediately go. But if they were looking for something to watch for free with their Amazon Prime subscription, I think that they could do significantly worse than to watch Band of Brothers. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and to to rebalance the hype wheel here a little bit, 
I think it's amazing. Um, we haven't talked much about the direction and the cinematography, but I think this, it looks it looks gorgeous. The period elements, it's like it's it's immersive. Um, it's a very straightforward approach to to that. It's not like they're doing something you haven't seen a million other period pieces do, but they do it really well. They execute it really well. Um, the it like, was very expensive to make, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even fifteen years later, it still averaged out to I think twelve and a half million dollars an episode. Which is um, insane. Which, which is still quite a lot of money for TV. <laughs> yeah, a lot. That's Game of Thrones money right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's an incredibly compelling true story. The use of interviews with the actual people um, is, I find, incredibly uh, powerful and affecting. Those who listen to me talk about that episode of American Crime, you know, Noel and I, I should say, both talk about it. But it was particularly powerful for me that featured the the survivors of Columbine will not be surprised that this that this device of, of of intercutting with interviews with the actual some of the surviving members of Easy Company will not be surprised that I found that so affecting. Um and it's not necessarily something that you're like, I know what sounds like fun. Should I watch Crazy Ex Girlfriend or should I watch Band of Brothers? However, it depends on for me it depends on the mindset you're in. And if it is a long weekend and people have fathers or father figures anything like mine it's like if i say am i gonna watch it this weekend is it father's day weekend am i hanging out with my dad because if so that would be a very excellent way to spend some quality time <laughs> um so i i just think it's tremendous and i think it's really uh very well told very well written very well produced directed acted all the way scored it's a little over the top sometimes but i think it's really i think they earn the score um miniseries and it, it like i said for me it really shows where the the prestige drama and um these uh uh limited run 10 episode anthology kind of series were headed um where we are now i think is presaged uh pretty much by, by abandonment this one not what they were trying to do but they successfully did, I think, foreshadow where we were going with certain elements of, of prestige drama. So uh, thank you, David, for letting me talk about it a bit. And for thank you, Noel, for being willing to watch <laughs> so much of it. I didn't know if you would have the time. So I'm glad you were able to, to really dive in. Um, David, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Well, first off, thanks again, uh, both for having me and for cutting me off because I could talk about this as I can talk about any TV show, as you well know, for uh, two hours uh, nonstop. Yeah, yeah. Um, you plus me plus Noel is just, if I don't stop us now, we will all yeah. go for three hours. It'll be terrible. Yeah. Right, and I only do that kind of stuff for Hannibal. <laughs> well, <Okay>. well. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can find me at battleshippretension.com. That's where all my movie reviews are and all my uh, podcasts, including Battleship Pretension and Hey, Watch This uh, and everything else. And you can email me, I guess, if you want it, david at battleshippretension.com. And you can and, and, and ought to follow me on Twitter at davypretension. Thank you once more, David, for coming back on the podcast. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.